0: Welcome to Yield Second Print Comics. My name is Doth Remzo Martinez, presenting to you, Monsieur Mister Marc Clair. I, I, I think if you say Monsieur, I think Monsieur is is Mister. I don't know why I add it's the Mister. Actually, Marquois. Marquois. Yeah. Clair. <laughs> I tried. We gave it an attempt. We're covered 1602 by Marvel Comics written by Neil Gaiman and drawn by Andy Kuber in today's Kirby Club-produced episode. Mark, uh, I want want to say so much about this. We're only covering the first four issues today. But before we jump into it all, do we have any house notes for ye old faithful listeners?
1: Well, as always, I encourage you all to follow us everywhere and anywhere, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, mostly those two places, or on Patreon, after the slash, it's always at second print pod, all spelled out with nice letters and everything. At second print pod on Twitter, at second print pod on Instagram, Patreon.com slash second pod if you want to support this show and get access to the plethora of bonus content, including the soon to be resuming what Mark missed. I was just uh out of the well, I say out of the country. Out of I was actually in the country, depending on where you are. I was in the United States. Normally I'm here in Mexico. Uh so I was I was traveling for a little bit so took a took a little break, but we'll be coming back Guns a for this one. Human Torches a blazing for this one. Uh, as well, Remzo, why don't you tell everybody how they can support this show? How they can, what is it? Buy comics! Support the show. Yeah, absolutely. In the
0: show notes today and on the website, and we'll have uh, some banners and other things to make it super easy for you. We are now an affiliate... As I mentioned on prior shows with MyComicShop.com. That's MyComicShop.com. One of the oldest online comic book stores for new and used books where you can even auction collectibles and more. When you go ahead and use our special link on our website or in the show notes today, anything you buy sends a little something, something back. So Mark and I can keep our wives happy. So go ahead and make sure you're only using those links because if you don't use those MyComicShop links and you buy something,
1: we get divorced yeah <laughs> that's what happens that's what that's happens. inevitably what will happen we will spend all of our money on this show instead of being funded by you guys and then it will lead to tragedy and despair for everyone so you don't want to be responsible for that people yeah, yeah. and i i i want to remsel's not even married yet and he's already and we're already, pla- we're already <sighs> planning a divorce over here on this panel.
0: it's it's been since episode one it's <laughs> been a it's been a challenge but i i, I want to i i just want to say thank you to everyone, especially today's producer through our Kirby Club, Jeffrey, um, each of you supporting the show, especially during the difficult period that we're in right now, it, it means something that we're helping bring a little bit of joy and laughter to your day because of all the things going on in the world to want to just hang out with the boys, crack a cold one and talk about comics means a lot. But, you know, for those of you that have been wondering uh, about whether or not you have, if you're, if you're blessed enough to have the extra income, whether or not you want to go ahead and support the show and get something out about it, get, get something out of it, regardless of the level you support the show. I mean, understand, um, th- this isn't just, uh, a hobby for Mark and I. This is something we do for love and because we want to go ahead and you know change the conversation in the comic book world. We change want to go. World. We want to change the world. We want to give a voice to fans, and we you know we want to build a better connection in the community. And um, the the money really does go back into the program for everything we do. And, um, you know, sometimes it, it is harder to get things done for the show because, you know, Mark and I still have our, our real lives and our jobs and everything. And to kind of give you a preview, well, I have a real
1: life. I don't know about jobs. Yeah. Something like that. There.
0: Well, I, I'm, as many of you know, I'm, I'm getting married in May. And after that, uh, my, my, my current fiance who will be moving from Maryland up here to Wisconsin with me, we're going to have to go back to Maryland probably a few weeks after that because my future mother-in-law who's a amazing woman who has treated me like a son for more than half a decade now um she has stage 4 uh, ovarian cancer and luckily they were able to get a lot of stuff done to help her out but she's going to be starting chemotherapy and during this time I'm going to have to possibly take some Unpaid leave from work because I'm already taking time away to you know help with her family and some stuff with my family and the wedding and everything. So I I promise you, we're we're still going to have the show come out every Wednesday. We're still going to do all the bonus shows and stuff. But you know that little support that you guys give, you know, in good times and bad, it helps us keep this going. It helps us not have to stress about it, ask whether it's worth it, because we love bringing you this content, and we also never take it for granted that you're actually helping us, you know, build an amazing community. And if if you have, you know, an extra five bucks, I promise you, you're not just giving it away. You're getting something great out of it because we put more than just what you hear here on the show into Second Print Comics. We're routinely bringing you additional shows and lots of content. So, I mean, it, you're, we're not just people that you hear on the on the magic iPhone machine. We're we're real people. And, um you know, getting to connect with you and getting to build something together. It's not about we. It's about us. And, um, you know, I, 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 as much as times are difficult, sometimes this is one of the best parts of my week. This is one of the best parts of my day when I get to hang out with Mark, talk comics, and get to, you know, just have so much fun with you all. As I've mentioned before, you're all the, you guys are the only reason I'm still on Facebook or else I would have turned that off a while ago. So, um, you know, your, your support means so much. And, uh, I just want to Thank you all again.
1: I feel like I just heard a, a speech from from Steve Rogers himself. Steve Rojas, perhaps. <laughs> Rojas. Rojas. Um, but we'll get to him later. But Remzo, uh, I echo all of Remzo's words. Uh, we, we really do appreciate all the support, not just from the people that support us on Patreon, but for all of you that listen, uh, for those of you that, the, the lovely ones of you that go and give us five-star ratings and great reviews over on Apple Podcasts. And those of you that just tune in, even those of you that just tuned tune in for the first time, the fact that you're listening, that that is you know enough for us to be grateful for. And anything else, eh, it's a lovely bonus. So don't forget that. Now, one person who we're extra, extra grateful for, of course, is this month's Kirby Club level producer. Jeff Measley. From Measley Smart, 40 Smackers a month. You can be in the queue, and you too can produce an episode of this program. That being said, let's head over to our previously recorded segment with Jeffrey. All right, and with me now is this month's Kirby Club producer. He is. The one and only, probably not the one and only. I'm sure there are others in the world. <laughs>
0: Jeffrey I was think I've met man. like two other Jeffreys, at least
1: three. I've met a lot of Jeffs, not many Jeffreys. Do you go by Jeffrey Jeffrey in, in your everyday life?
0: Eh, either or. How about <laughs> Jeff
1: Fafa? <laughs> Jeff Fafa. <laughs> Jeff Wah. <Fuffa. laughs> <laughs> Jeff <Fuffa. laughs> to, to relate to our, our story Jeff today. Jeff Fafa. Um, that works. So, Jeffrey, this is your second, uh, I believe it's your second, right? Or is it your third Kirby Club producing episode? It's your second. It's right?
2: it's the second.
1: Yeah. First, so we did the Max. We continued with the Max last time, which was fun because that I always like when my Kirby Club patrons send me to read something I was already planning to read. So it doesn't feel like extra work. Um, but this one is a, a story. I've, I have seen this one before in the Marvel Unlimited app and thought to myself, hmm, interesting, but I've never read it before. So, Jeffrey, why don't you set up exactly what you are having us read today?
2: Uh, it is uh, yeah, It is Neil Gaiman's uh, Marvel uh, six, 1613,
1: right? 1602. You can't even get the name oh, It's right. only 11 just... years oh, off. It's and basically want, the and same. And you want to be our producer. Uh, <laughs>
2: so, sorry, sorry. I, I can never remember the exact year. But, yeah, it's that. And uh, yeah, it's an alternate history retelling of the origins of the Marvel Universe, basically. Told as only Neil Gaiman can.
1: And uh, when did did you first read this story? Did you read it right when it came out or was this a more recent find for you?
2: I think I wrote it the first time eh, six or seven years ago. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm about half a step out of phase with the me who would be like, a diehard Neil Gaiman fan. Mm -hmm. Like, I've read a lot of his stuff. I love The Sandman, but, you know, I've read other of his stuff, and it's, you know, it's always, you know, "Eh, I like it. That's good. It's pretty good.
1: I get that, too. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) yeah, go ahead.
2: Yeah, that's how I feel about this, except that I'm a sucker for anything set in, like, the 1600s. Like, my favorite work of fiction of all time is Neil Stevenson's Baroque Cycle. Mm. Like, which is set, know, no you know, between, uh, you, you should check it out. It's, uh, it's, it's a heavy investment. It's three absolute door stoppers mm. of books, but, uh, yeah, it's pretty good. It's, it's set during like, you know, from like the period between like mm, 1550, well, probably like 1560 to, or I mean, sorry, 1660 to about, you know, the early 1700s and, uh, it, it, it's great.
0: Jeffrey, you're a man after my own heart. Because, <laughs> excuse me, um, the Count of Monte Cristo is probably one of my favorite books of all time. Anything that's around that area, oh, yeah. you can throw some action into it. I freaking love it.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I, I love the Monte Count of Monte Cristo too. The best yeah. uh, fifteen hundred pages I've ever read.
1: Yeah, Rem- Remzo and I will talk about this later in the show, but I I, I get what you're saying about Neil Gaiman, because I think when I first came upon his work, you know, you just hear so much. I think most of us probably didn't find Neil Gaiman before he was well known for being this prolific writer. So I think at first you're just, oh, this is someone I am supposed to like, who I was supposed to know is a great writer. And at a certain age, you're like really impressed by his writing. And I still am. I don't want to downplay that he is an impressive writer, but I think I think maybe when I'm when I was in a younger age, and I don't know if this is kind of where you were going with it, but I might be more in awe of like what seems like fancy writing just because it feels like fancy writing. Whereas now I can I'm a little more critical of the mind, so you can't just make a sentence that sounds pretty and not have a great story behind it. I'm not, I'm not saying that that he does that, but I I'm going to be more critical of the story itself and less just in awe of the you know quote unquote great writing.
0: Well, well, I'm almost like, at least on my end, I almost feel like when I'm going to read a Neil Gaiman book, I almost feel like it's a chore in a way. Like, I know it's going to be good, but it's like, I I have to put aside time for this. Whereas other books, it's not a Sunday read uh, under any definition. No, that's a commitment. Okay, that's like a goldfish right there.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's actually surprising because this was actually a lot lighter. of an experience than a lot of his you know comic book rivals. i was actually sort of surprised because you know after i requested the episode i went and reread and everything and you know i basically tore through it in in a
1: day you know but uh yeah great well jeffrey i want to thank you not not only for supporting us here at SBC for being uh one of our kirby level patrons but also for only having us review the first four issues for now because this is an eight issue series and you know I I think it was sometime last year that Remzo and I really huddled together and and really said like we can't do this thing where we where we do we were doing crazy things like like you know reviewing all 14 issues of maximum carnage I I think I did 24 issues of savage dragon once it's just exhausting for us and it's too much to really do service to so I think even even doing like six to eight issues can be a stretch for us sometimes I think our wheelhouse is around four Uh, so thank you for only tasking us on the first half of this and i guess we'll see when we get around to your next time maybe you'll maybe you'll have us finish it up time will tell
2: uh, maybe uh two two further points if i may sure yeah just little little quick ones one listening to your uh ultimate spider-man uh wolverine <laughs> episode you know you talked <laughs> about the start starts of each issue where they had like brian michael bendis as himself recapping the series and uh i, I read that and i was like oh that's right Issue 5 of Marvel 1602 starts with that exact page where it's a caricature of Neil Gaiman and, and the artist no commenting shit. about the recap of the series so far. I'm yeah, kind of upset we didn't uh, do
1: five, 5 issues now then because yeah. that would probably turn Sorry into an that. interesting... <laughs> I'm like, did I, did I skip that part or something? Yeah, no, we didn't yeah, get that. Uh, Not really, go back. We didn't get that. Part. And then uh,
2: the second point is, you know, the existence of a Daredevil 1602 presupposes the existence or it raises the possibility of the existence of a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 1602. Whoa. So let's just put that out there into the ether. Now,
1: that's a crossover. If Kevin Eastman and Frank Miller are are listening, I want them to get together for, for that crossover. That I would read. That I would pay money for. What if, what if
0: the actual Ninja Turtles were the artists they were named after? Therefore, the artists were not the inspirations for the turtles, but the turtles were the artists during the Renaissance period. And but they no- painted themselves as humans because there was no
1: photography back then. Well, there you go. I, that is better, better man. the best theory I've ever heard in my life. Well, I think I think that is a, I, somehow we went from uh, talking about 1602 to the Ninja Turtles were actually the artists. I love that theory, uh, Jeffrey. Thanks so much, uh, and we're gonna move on and, and review this series now. All right, thank you very much. Thanks, thanks brother. brother. All right, and that was good old Jeffrey setting us up for today's conversation about 1602. Now. I asked this of Jeffrey. I'm going to ask this of you, Remzo. Had you read this story before and when and when, if so?
0: I, I read the first issue probably in 2011. This is around the time I'm really starting to understand what else worlds are, what the what-if worlds are, and multiverse's alternate timelines, you know, different continuities. It was a bit much for me at the time, so I think I prematurely put it down. I was also going through Neil Gaiman's Sandman. So I was like to try and read two Neil Gaiman books at the same time. I was like, I think I should probably pace myself.
1: That's a whole lot of Gaiman at once. And yeah, it was a Gaiman bang. Yeah, you you really got to you got (laughs) to you got to have your game in. Took you a second there. You really, you really gotta. It, it hashtag happen, gaming it's bang. Happen. It's our new hashtag. I'll, yeah, I'll try anything. We tried the gongs last week. You know, I, I'm willing to go for just about anything at this point. um But yeah, you know, I, I think Neil Gaiman. Like it's similar to Alan Moore. Although in my personal lexicon, I, I I do like Alan Moore as a writer quite a bit more than Neil Gaiman, actually. Although I, you know, Neil, Neil Gaiman is certainly you know, if I had to make a list of top ten, he'd probably he'd probably make that list. But you know, like I was saying with Jeffrey, it is. It's it's like a, it's a rewarding chore, but like you said, it is a chore because he he writes the words, he writes the big words. I mean, he is a prose writer, much like Alan Moore. And that, I think that is what they have in common. Like not just like in their style of comics, but in their other lives. Like these are guys that write novels, that are novelists. So I think they approach things with a novelist mind. They're both very good writers, but you're, these are not fast reads. Anytime you're going to pick up a Neil Gaiman book or an Alan Moore book, for the most part you're gonna be thinking a little bit you're gonna you're, there's gonna be some and that's not a bad thing that you know that there i love uh bu- books that make me think but it does take a certain amount of mental energy you know it's not just like flipping through a book and you know seven pages of battle scenes that you don't really need to think about dialogue for there's a lot more to it which is again why i'm you will need some spark notes for these comics <laughs> yeah so yeah i'm glad we're not doing all eight because not because i didn't like the story i did enjoy it but because just Doing eight issues and doing it justice is like yeah we could talk about eight 12 issues of anything but we wouldn't really be doing them justice in the the second print way so to speak so that being said shall we do this thing shall we dance
0: let's jump into Neil Gaiman and Andy Kubert's
1: sixteen oh two part one since we didn't do a pre production meeting who wants to take this issue we'll do it we'll do it live do you want to take issue one I'll hop in why not okay why not well our story begins in sixteen oh two. And uh, we have these cool little, like, um, they really go very stylistically with even the credits page in the beginning here. So, you know, we see Neil Gaiman, writer, Andy Kubert, illustrator, not just penciler, illustrator. And 1602 part one is called in which we are introduced. Well, what was that word? In which we are introduced syllables, Mark, syllables to some of our featured players. And as we hop over to the first page. We quickly meet some of our featured players, including, well, first of all, to set the scene, it is the year 1602. It is March of 1602 in Hampton Court, England. And who we're meeting here up front, we're meeting, we meet several characters uh, off the bat. We see the Queen, the Queen of England, who is, has her her basically her right-hand man, who is Sir Nicholas Fury. Sir Nicholas Fury. And they're talking and chatting because they actually have, they're basically talking about this thing that's been going on in their world for quite some time. And this is something that the characters uh, reference quite a bit. They mention how the skies over London have been blood red at noon. Uh, there is reports of thunderstorms, thunderclaps loud enough to deafen, lightnings that lightning that strikes churches down uh, earthquakes tumbled the city of York. There are floods. So there's like, there's basically like all sorts of crazy weather going all over the world. And that is something that is, is constantly mentioned throughout at least these first four issues um that does play into the plot as someone who does know where this is going but we're not going to get there today so let's just leave that for now but uh, it will be a recurring feature and uh the queen is basically talking to Sir Nicholas Fury, and uh, Fury is saying, "I'm afraid Armageddon is rather outside my department, Majesty." He's like, "Dude, I can I can assassinate people for you. I can do this and that. I don't know what to do about the fucking weather, bitch." And she's like, "All right, the good doctor, right on time. So maybe this, maybe she brought in someone that can do something about the weather." She says, "What say you, good Sir Doctor? Is the world truly ending? And who do we meet here? It is this world's Doctor, the master of the mystical arts." dr Stephen strange if, yes he is called he has the exact same na- name in this one just dr Stephen strange and the sum of this is that he has been uh brought here to uh to meet with mr fury there this is basically like a war of the roses type situation game of thrones type thing there's all these different players that we will meet throughout so there is like this queen of england who i think you know is supposed to kind of be on the good side of things i think um we also will meet later We'll meet. Otto von Doom, uh, one of the other players. There's also King James, and while a lot of these, it's it's kind of a mix. Some of these characters have actual like historical counterparts, while some of these other characters are just like you know Marvel comics characters supplanted into 1602. So it's kind of interesting um, how they play this all out, and. Uh, basically what nick fury is talking about here is that or what the queen is telling nick fury is that there is this weapon that uh she wants fury to have retrieved it's a weapon that they are going to um you know this is this is why dr strange is there uh he's saying there's something i'm not certain what but something powerful something dangerous i believe in jerusalem of all places the holy city it has been offered to me to guard, and I have accepted. If it were to fall into the wrong hands, it could mean disaster for England, perhaps a disaster for the world. Um, so he's basically just arrived there to tell them about this weapon and say, you know, we got to do something about this. Um, so Nick, Sir Nicholas Fury and Doctor Strange are, you know, they're getting to know each other in the moonlight here, walking along and they are basically just chatting about uh you know the the same things that they were talking about with the queen here the weather you know dr strange is saying these storms are far from natural and Fury is saying well if the world is indeed ending can your templar treasure protect us like like why do we care about your stupid little treasure weapon here when when, you know all these storms are coming and the world's gonna end anyway and and uh um, strange is saying i did not mention the templars sir nicholas and he says no nor did you mention that the old man himself will be bringing you this treasure so it seems that fury seems to know more than he he lets on here because he actually knows who this old man or whatever is going to be bringing him uh bringing this this treasure slash weapon to dr strange and he even says like see my spies and cutthroats are good for something but if i know then i can wager you the spanish and the portuguese and the russians also know so again this is game of thrones it's war of the roses there are all these different uh kings and queens and royalties uh all throughout europe basically vying for power only we get Marvel characters here as well. And basically, Stephen Strange says, okay, good night. I have some questions to ask my mirror. <laughs> so Strange is going to go in the mirror. We then go to the High Tower in the Palace of the Inquisition. Before I get there, Remso, what do you just think of the, of this first scene? What do you think of the way the scene was set um, by Neil Gaiman introducing us to the characters of Sir Nicholas Fury and Stephen Strange through their encounter with the Queen of England?
0: When it, When it comes to stories like this, who do you think is the target audience in mind? Because this isn't the first time we've had like a a, a transplant story outside of continuity of familiar characters. I think one of the very early on, early ones we did was we did uh, Deadpool Noir, which was in a different continuity that took place in like, you know, the 1950s. And the question we asked ourselves was, is this for already existing fans of the properties or is this for people who like a noir type of story. And I kind of find myself asking that here. It's like, if if you've never read a Marvel book, are you the target audience because you like this type of Victorian era, you know, style of storytelling? Or do you have to like the properties and all the characters in order to get a greater appreciation for seeing your characters in a completely different world? And, you know, it's just... I'm not saying it's it's one or the other. It's just the thought like when they do this type of stuff, like I thought the introductions were fine and everything, but it's always like, you know, if I showed this to somebody else, would they care? And I think they they set things up in a way which is just kind of, you know, setting the stage, giving you some of the tones and the feels for everything. But, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing the rest of the issue.
1: I think this is for comics fans who are already familiar with these characters and will think it's a novelty to see them in this other setting. And also, oh look, shiny object of Neil Gaiman. Remember him? He writes good stuff. So I think it's it's basically letting Neil Gaiman have fun with this. And, but I, I I don't I don't really think this is intended for like. Fans of the medieval genre (laughs) to like come over and check out, not not having a background on on, Marvel Comics, because in that case, I think it would just be more confusing. Because I think half of the even like a lot of the aha moments throughout this are like, oh, I know this guy, look who he is, oh, that's who this is. So it's it's a lot about recognizing the characters you already know. So yeah, and you know, as we go on, we'll we'll talk about the story itself. But I'm not sure if non Marvel Comics fans would even care to pick this up in the first place, unless they're just Neil Gaiman writing fans perhaps i I did look it up i I had a theory maybe it was tied into game of thrones but this came out in 2003 long before game of thrones so always suspicious of the marketing but we move on and we see there is this uh figure chained up he is chained up in the high tower in the palace of the inquisition which is in dom daniel what a name of a town dom daniel spain and you know he's kind of narrating to himself we're just seeing little glimpses of his like hands and his feet and um you know he's saying basically that he's going to die tomorrow and as we as we really see who this character is we see a big splash page where he's tied up by all fours but this guy has more than all fours he has all six because he also has wings this is of course well he's not warren worthington iii although maybe maybe he is but he is this the 1602's version of angel and he is being held here and about to be killed because of his powers so just like in our our regular marvel 616 those born with powers are of course also persecuted in this world so we are kind of seeing a glimpse of uh this world's x-men we then head to the moor's head a tavern in westminster i always love a good tavern scene essential part of the hero's journey isn't that right Remzo? essential yes you must you must have a tavern scene or there's no or there there there's no journey to be had and we see this blind minstrel who's singing a song who is this blind minstrel i think i think you can probably guess Remzo, with red hair and a Looks. red and a red uh, blindfold.
0: Well, I mean the 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 fact that he's blind gives it away. We see the alone, 1602 really. version of Matt Murdock.
1: I'm not sure if yes, they they call him Matthew, and they're they're just yelling at him to you know play more songs in this thing and, and this and that. And you know we see this other kid here who is, of course they're not they're pretty neil Gaiman is not subtle here with the uh with letting you know who these characters are supposed to be um because the, the, you know this kid is pointing at this little spider and thinking it's pretty cool on the bar and he's like oh a spider sir and such an interesting beast it is why well, i see how it's carap carapace carapace i don't know carapace i don't know what this word is glitters carapace and, he
0: says, and this and this what is it i was guessing carapace carapace
1: uh, okay let's go with carapace carapace yeah yeah whatever anyway this spider his carapace gets smashed and uh we look up and you know this guy has just this like drunkard has killed this spider and um but behind this kid is our friend sir nicholas fury and he's saying peter is the room ready so of course this is peter but in this version this is not peter parker this is peter Parquois. (laughs) Parquois. (laughs) this is the one name i just really laughed out loud at i just thought it was so hilarious Um. Yeah, and uh, Fury is here to let's see to fetch Peter Parquois. Yeah, his name is Peter Parquois. He is my new assistant in the department. You may speak in front of him as as you would if you were alone. So so Fury has brought in this Peter Parquois, and also he is really there to meet with this uh, with Matt with Matthew, this daredevil minstrel, blind minstrel guy. Uh, So Fury is is breaking things down for him, and Matt you know he's a smart guy he hears a lot of things you might say so he's already knows kind of what's up he's like there's word on the street something is coming this way from jerusalem something kings and princes would give their crowns to possess i take it that's what you're after and fury's like well yeah of course Do you know who else is after it he's like well you can count on the usual bunch the king of spain the Tsar, count Otto von doom and uh, Peter Parkwa like the one they call the Handsome. So that that is actually Doom's name. He is Otto van Doom, the Handsome. Believe it or not, which is uh, in stark contrast to his Marvel six one six counterpart, where he has a very scarred face. That is that is not the case with this version of Doom. He's very he's a very handsome man. Hence the Handsome. uh and and, and Daredevil's like yes, uh, or I call him Daredevil. He's not called that here. Matthew says so they say, boy. Although I can't say I've ever seen it myself and uh basically fury is is tasking him to meet this old man in this place called Triste. i'm not sure where that is let's just say france i think i'm thinking of france because uh we just did that whole story with robin that took place in paris uh he's like you'll meet this man in Triste at the old castle on the night of the full moon of course it has to be on the night of the full moon i want him and his cargo brought safely here and, and Matthew's like, there's only 10 days from now. He's like, well, then you, you better get moving. And he's like, and my payment, your usual payment, sir, devil, sir, devil, they call him a diamond, the size of a cherry stone with its twin to be given to you upon safe delivery of the old man and his treasure. He's like, I'll take the diamond now. And, and Nick Fury flips it to him. And so payment has been made and this uh, is going to go down. So obviously Fury has this sort of network of uh, trusted people, including this Matthew devil, fellow and this young peter parquois <laughs> i i find it kind of I, I just find this character of peter parquois um i don't know we'll see where he goes i is find it him the peter or the parquois it's the parquois for sure <laughs> it's definitely the parquois um anyway moving on uh we move over to greenwich a village east of london at the house of stephen strange we also meet here who he lives with in this version of reality. It is the this is actually the 313 universe by the way i did a little research so our 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 regular marvel universe is the 616 this is the 313 i guess is, it's half the universe they
0: couldn't be bothered to call it the 1602 universe the numbers are right there yeah, right
1: yeah why not give it that That's, I don't that know seems like an unnecessary extra step yeah it really does um but yeah he lives with this universe's version of klee Ramzo what can you tell me about klee in any universe that you want Klee
0: generally is one of the primary pupils of Doctor Strange. She not only had a father, I think, who was a demon, but she was at certain points the Sorcerer Supreme. I think currently in current Marvel continuity right now, she's the new Sorcerer Supreme, but typically she's a sidekick and lover of Stephen Strange.
1: Indeed, indeed. Rumors completely unconfirmed rumors much like some other rumors that we've heard should I even say it it's a doctor strange rumor i don't know if i should say rumors because rumors could be spoilers
0: is that is is it that they killed him in the comics but they're going to bring him back in like a year
1: no there's just there's a rumor about this character potentially appearing in in the next doctor strange movie and that and there's a, a rumored actress that it, it could be so i'll just leave it at that who's the act- it no, no 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 you, 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 don't
0: spoil it. you, can't, you can't you can't just drop it like that I can. Yes, I can who are they who are they at least can. tell me who they're looking at
1: no it, well because it's either true or not you know and if it's true i don't want to spoil it for anybody i'm not gonna do it god damn you it. can google move on clee dr multiverse of madness and then you'll see who they're talking
0: i'm about. not that motivated it's not a grudge against the movie it's just like you know when i think of all the characters like they they did that whole death of dr strange thing recently total side note where they yep. basically spoiled the ending like six months in advance the ending of the movie no the ending of the series like they already oh, told well, by
1: calling it the death of Dr. well, they, well <laughs> yeah.
0: like you know was it a death death it was like death of the inhumans where nobody dies it's like you know that he died but then they made Klee Sorcerer Supreme and now they're doing all the the promo stuff around the movie so it's like of course she's gonna be in there
1: well, maybe that is a spoiler then. Anyway, there's a lot of rumors for this movie. And if like a third of them are true, here's the thing, Remzo. Here's what happened. I was so excited about No Way Home because of all the rumors. So I get why they leaked them out. And the rumors were true. And it was cool. But I realized something that it, it's, the Age of Innocence is gone. And I hate and I, I they, they already spoiled it. they already spoiled something I didn't want to know in the Doctor Strange trailer you know and i can say this because they've already showed him his face in it now that that you know that patrick stewart is going to be in it as professor x and i that's like it's stuff like that i, I get why they do it because it's proven successful because no way home was so successful because of all these leaks and rumors it took all their money le- well yeah now they're not just leaks and rumors now they're putting the shit in the trailer and it's like man i, I that should be like such a holy shit moment like seeing patrick stewart in that movie and now it's like, I'm going to be like, Oh yeah, here's Patrick Stewart. I'm not going to be like, Oh my God. But when I saw no way home, I, I knew Toby was coming, especially once Andrew showed up. I'm like, okay, well obviously Toby's next. And my wife nearly fucking exploded through the roof of this movie theater. Cause she had no idea that this Toby McGuire thing was happening. And I was so jealous. I was so jealous. Cause that's the reaction I, I feel like I should have had, but because I'm all immersed in all this stuff. I, my innocence is gone and I know everything that's going to happen. And I i don't know. I, I want to, if there's anybody out there that ha, that has that feeling, I want to at least leave a few things for them to be surprised by. That's all. I, that's just, I, I
0: just finished a book called The Art of the Pimp. And, uh...
1: This is a hell of a transition.
0: Go on, and there's a part in there where it's like some of the pimps can tell how how many times uh, a prostitute can go to work before she loses her mind, and I feel like you're at that phase where it's like it just stops got mattering at a certain point, and it's just like, okay, I'm here. Let's get it done.
1: All right, well now yeah yeah that's kind of like that's where i am like all right mark
0: has five more fucks before he loses it <laughs> let's just do this
1: let's get this over with all right leave the money on the counter and let's do a podcast hashtag art of the pimp uh so basically dr strange is talking to clee and um yeah being all lovey-dovey with her and then he goes to look at his mirror and goes into a trance and he's you know he's conjuring all these different spirits and such and he says now we hear a voice that says now ask your first question She says, the strange weather, I think it's actually Klee asking the question to Strange and then Strange, like, answers it through this trippy vision that he's having. So she says, the strange weather, what causes it, my love? And then you see all these other, like, weird languages, like these other spirits and whatever are talking and he's saying, she's like, Stephen, where are you? He's like, I'm flying, like a gull or a nightbird, above a ship. It comes towards us out of the west. There are two people on the deck in the the light of the crescent moon and we see, like, Strange is just like going in this trippy journey throughout the arts really cool here how the art really does it feels like Neil Gaiman art you know and I I like that Andy Kubert has a very distinct style here but to me it feels like he has adapted his own style into how a weird, especially specifically in this scene into how a weird Neil Gaiman trippy dream scene should seem did you did you get that feeling too from from Kubert's art here it's
0: very different than how it is probably three years before this came out because remember I think the first Andy Kubert um art we looked at was about a year ago, it was in our Ultimate X-Men episode, and we weren't, you know, it, it wasn't what he's known for now, but looking at this and having compared it in prior episodes, it's like, yeah, this is very much his style that he owns, and you appreciate it more because you kind of see that a lot of the roughness has been removed and it's it, it's more fitting of the tone of the story, which is like this Victorian era, so I mean it's it's beautiful, it really
1: is. Yes. Indeed. And she goes on she says the ship's name Stephen he says the virginia maid and we see this this little like girl with silver hair and this large blonde haired indian type looking fellow um am i allowed to see, say tp not dot i just did so whatever um i thought it was feather not dot is it i uh, hey. he's the <laughs> like, either way indian not to thank you again Either way, it should cancel us. And that's, that's, this is just our, our ongoing quest to be canceled. I go to <laughs> enough Indian
0: casinos to have paid for the sins of a thousand white men. And I'm not even
1: white. Yeah, we should be paying you, really. <laughs> Probably. Anyway.
0: You can pay your reparations at patreon.com slash secondprintpod. <laughs> yeah.
1: for, for the reparation tier. tier. We should make a, a whole new tier just to pay Ramzo back for the, the crimes against Puerto Rico. There's
0: so much politics on the show.
1: he says how may the darkness i'm gonna ignore that how may the darkness be lifted from the land he says i am in the heart of a mountain this is still strange going through his tribute vision a place built to hold earth and air water and fire no it slips away from me slips and changes i see a tower in the tower there is an angel and of course now we see that vision of angel in the tower which we saw earlier and it says no no a lie it is a man a man with wings they are piling firewood in the square below the square is filled with ghosts in pain who scream in silent voices who does this thing Stephen? what is the significance would that i knew there is a man here a priest in conversation with a nun her habit is the red of fresh blood i would that i could hear them that i could do more than see Remzo, question how long did it take you to figure out who these people were specifically like the inquisitor did it take you a minute or did you know right away do you still do you know now <laughs> who is it no it's 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 magneto it becomes oh. a little more apparent as we go on
0: man it's so it's so weird that the inquisitor is magneto going after jews especially
1: yeah. since magneto was a holocaust survivor yeah it's it's a weird like self-persecution thing so he's like there ah, we'll get into it but you know there's the there's the the approved mutants, like the Inquisitor and his daughter, the Scarlet Witch, I don't know what she's actually called here right now, the Scarlet Witch and whatever, there's a Quicksilver here too, but I think they maybe keep their powers secret or something like that, but then there's the, the Witchin, which are like, or the Witch Breed, I think it is, the Witch Blood, who are like the X-Men, and they're like, the per- they're the persecuted ones.
0: Um, anyway, okay.
1: yeah, her habit is the red of flesh blood, so that, that is the Scarlet Witch, or this version of it i would that i could hear them but i could do more than see she sees me it is impossible but she senses me in some way i cannot fathom which makes sense because who who but as someone as powerful as the scarlet witch would be able to sense steven strange uh you know looking at her through this uh dream state and he says with a gesture she banishes me i can see no more and Stephen wakes up all sweaty and he's saying what did i see clee what did i say She's just like come to bed, my darling. I'll will tell you when you wake up. He's like, uh, yeah, okay. It's just Stephen, yes, love. If the queen dies and James of Scotland becomes king, well, we shall be all right, won't we? I mean, how bad can it get? And he's like, dude, I, I just had this trippy ass vision when someone fucking saw me. I you want me to answer this hypothetical right now? That's not what he says, but that's what I would say. We move on to the fortress of the Inquisition in Dom Daniel, Spain. And we see that, well, he, yeah, this, this is where it becomes a little more clear, where the Inquisitor is saying, can you tell me anything else about this presence you say you felt, Sister Wanda? <laughs> okay, so now it's very obvious. She says, nothing, Grand Inquisitor. Perhaps, perhaps I simply imagined it. She says, I doubt it. No, it was Javier i have no doubt on that score so obviously this universe is I, I i find this one pretty funny too this universe is professor x not charles xavier he's charles javier <laughs> charles javier we also meet petros here who of course is quicksilver he says petros send a message to the guard there they must be extra villi- vill- extra vigilant at tomorrow's burning he says yes sir you may leave us sister wanda um and yeah they're basically talking more about the politics you know that, that basically if something happens to the queen which they keep alluding something could happen to the queen is when this uh king james of scotland will will take over basically uh, you know the united kingdom he'll be the, the king of england um And yeah, that's what, that's what Petra's reporting on. Like, yeah, he's good to go. And they're, they're talking about if they should have an alliance with the King of Scotland, um, because they also don't like the Queen of England bloody. They have not yet forgotten.
0: If you like all the diplomacy and political talk in the Star Wars prequels. You will enjoy this.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there, is, this is definitely like history buffs will probably really enjoy this because, you know, I had to look up some of these references, you know, to, to kind of realize, oh, this is a, is a historical character or is this a Marvel character? So, like, I had to figure some of this out, out too. So, if you're a, a buff of this time period, you will absolutely love this because Neil Gaiman is not shy about letting you know that he read a lot of history books before this. He really wants you to be aware of that. Um, yeah. And basically, yeah, they're just, they're just plotting and plotting and they're, they're sending, he's going to send Petrus along to, I guess, talk to like the King of Scotland and, you know, talk about possibly forming some sort of alliance against the Queen of England, which of course would benefit the King of Scotland because if she dies, I think he, he takes over basically. I don't know how that works, but that's that's the way it is. Now we go over to the Atlantic Ocean on the ship the Virginia made, the very same ship that Dr. Stephen Strange saw in his vision. And this little girl with the silver hair, her name is Virginia, Virginia Dare. Let's try this, Remzo. Let's see if you know your history. Remzo, what can you tell me about Virginia Dare? Virginia Dare was the first
0: child to be born in the New World, in the Virginia Colony, named virginia dare her family were the dares they named her virginia after the Virginia colony named after the virgin queen and uh i think she went
1: i think she disappeared she was part of the roanoke colony so yeah well that they all disappeared so yeah. yeah so this is basically in this 1602 of the marvel 313 whatever it may, yeah why did they just call it marvel 1602 that's really stupid anyway uh, that roanoke column col- that roanoke colony didn't disappear it actually thrived with the help of the arrival of we'll, we'll get to all this later they don't spell it out right here but you know with the help of the arrival of this white ass indian dude <laughs> it took me a while to really figure out what this was until i finally said the name like out loud because I, I was pronouncing it like Rojas. i'm in Mexico, so I, I, yeah i see the j as a rojas i'm like rojas rojas and i was like oh (laughs) rojas
2: rogers oh this
1: is fucking that's a good one i I, this one kind of got me i will say this this was not as obvious to me from the beginning i've never i grew i grew up in arizona
0: outside of like multiple tribal nations and this is the most aryan indian i've ever seen in my life
1: Did you ever meet a Rojas? Yeah, I never
0: met a Rojas and I met all the ones (laughs) selling fried bread on the side of the road.
1: Yeah, um, basically, she's saying that, um, you know, they're they're headed over to England uh, from the Roanoke colony. And, you know, um, she's saying that she's scared because she's like, how many people do you think there are in London town? 200, 500? And he's like, no, way more than that. Thousands. He's like, well, there aren't that many people in the whole world, right? Like, do you think the queen will be nice to me? Yes. This is all typical, like, little girl stuff. But then Rojas, she says, Rojas, Rajas, Rajas, what happens if it happens again when I'm in London? What if I change? And he says, no one will hurt you. He's like, yeah, yeah, I know. What if I hurt them? So there's an implication here that Virginia Dare has some sort of Powers that she may or may not be able to control all the time. We then go, we uh, head over to the temple off of Fleet Street in England, where we see good old Peter Parqua and Sir Nicholas Fury walking along in an alley. And just like I'm wondering, Peter Parqua is also wondering, why have we come this way, Sir Nicholas? Why are we here? And he says, it's a very profound question, Peter. Why are we here to suffer? Some say He's, he's going meaning of life on this shit. Others claim that this world is a refining fire in which. A dross in our souls. He's like, No, no, no. I mean, like, here by the temple, should we not be crossing? Shouldn't we be crossing the river? He's like, No, no. This is a perfect place to be. We are here for two reasons. First, it was built by the Templars. Let's try this one. Renzo, what can you tell me about the Knights Templar? The
0: Knights Templar came up under the Catholic Church under the Third Crusade to retake Jerusalem from Suleiman the Wise. I think. Later after that, they went back and actually traveled throughout Europe, supposedly hiding the Holy Grail. If you're into that Indiana Jones and the last crusade type of stuff, they eventually disappeared when I think it was the King of England at the time actually ordered their execution because he was worried that the Knights were working for the papacy. And at that point, um, England was a Protestant kingdom. Therefore, you can't have the Pope's soldiers running around. So the, cru- so, the, um, so the Knights Templar were basically hunted down until each of them were killed. And some of them apparently kept their traditions going along. Some of them hid treasures such as, you know, supposedly King Arthur's swords. It's hard to tell the difference between myth and reality, but that's what makes them so appealing.
1: That was a much more detailed, excellent stuff. So that was great stuff. That's why you're here. Uh, that's why you were my, my little Peter Parquois and, Parquois um, and that is a much more detailed answer than than Peter Parquois got at, when he asked Sir Nicholas Fury because he had the same question he said Nicholas Fury who were the Templars and he just says um, well he said that is a small question but with as many answers as a hydra has heads in brief they were an order of warrior monks founded some 500 years ago to guard the roots to Jerusalem and then he does go through this whole he actually goes through several pages uh, of, of telling basically what Ramzo just told you uh, it was completely accurate so we got a little history we got a lot of history lessons in here uh they're walking along in this alley and and he's like all right so how do you how important do you think this treasure will prove and fury's like well we shall see and he said wait you said there were two reasons we were taking this alley what was the second and fury's like well it approaches us from behind step away from me peter do not turn around and we see this little character i'm not sure who it's supposed to oh i think it's maybe the green go- it's got to be the green goblin this guy's this guy's all in green he's just screaming, "Die!" No, no.
0: Not- no, 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 no. Look at him. Look at him carefully. He's bald. He has a hooked nose. Looks kind of kind of I'll 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 put it this way. He would be a raptor in the bird kingdom. It's the oh, vulture. Oh,
1: it's the Oh, that's the vulture. Okay. Yeah well it, the green threw me off but now now that you say it he's he's much more clearly the vulture can't see his little like underrobe thing looks kind of like wings I, I do see it now yeah and I, i'm glad that's the case because this would have been a really lame green goblin but the vulture is already kind of lame except the michael keaton version so i'm i'm totally fine with this version of the vulture getting his ass handed to him by the way by nick by nick fury his his shitty knife barely pierces his uh like fury's armor and then fear like literally crushes him fury just checks him in the gut his knife is completely bent and And Parqua is like the knife. And Fury's like, yeah, leather and chainmail, bitch. Leather and chainmail, boy. Nothing magic about it. He's like, yeah, the second reason for coming here is because it seemed like a fine place to deal with somebody following me. (laughs) So Fury knew this guy was following him the whole time. And they he picks up this vulture and just they just carry him off. So I guess they've got this vulture they're going to carry with them now as well too. We then go to a boat and we see our our blind hero, Mister Matthew, the blind minstrel. He's with a buddy. Who's his buddy? Hi, Captain Nelson. Yes, Foggy Captain Foggy Nelson is here, um, guiding Matthew on uh, this journey to meet the old man and get this weapon. Um and make sure it doesn't fall into the wrong hands for Nick Fury. So um as the title of this issue stated, we're gonna meet all the key players here. And yeah, they're having a little conversation that, that doesn't really matter much, so I'm going to blow past it and go right to our main event of this issue, where Angel is about to be burned at the stake in the Inquisition when you see one of the monks takes off his hood and he has also a red blindfold around his face, but this is not these ones look much more like a visor. Who is this Remzo? It is this world's version of still the lamest X-Men ever, Skyclops. It is Scotty, as they call him. No matter how you dress up Cyclops, he's just always lame.
0: Nothing like if like the only the only time Cyclops was ever cool was in that nineties animated series intro song. Which goes through my mind yeah, only in
1: the song, not in the series. No, itself.
0: not in the series because he's a cuck the entire series. Yes. But yeah,
1: um, so and there, so he takes his thing off. He he says now, and then suddenly, like all these guys are holding the flames, and then they drop it because they turn, they, they freeze. Like it's too cold to touch. What what devil's work is this? And then we see the ice come out. So of course we see this version's, uh, this world's version of Iceman. And yeah, slowly we meet all of the X Men basically. Um he's like, Well, how you get out of the fortress? I can fly, but there's a wall between you and the outside. And then um Cyclops takes off Scottius takes off his visor, blasts a hole through it that wall and says, Not anymore. So it's just Cyclops and yeah, it was just these two, just Cyclops and uh Roberto, I believe, that came to um to save Angel and bring him to Javier, the X-Men. Uh we then get a little tale, we get a little narration. Queen Elizabeth is an old woman. We get a little more history here. Is an old woman in pain and she sleeps poorly. Now she tosses uncomfortably in her bed and rolls over and dreams a strange dream. Another Neil Gaiman trippy dream sequence here. The old man left Jerusalem 2 days ago in a cart pulled by a donkey. The back of the cart was piled high with battered furniture, chairs and pots and an unremarkable wooden something chest and padded with straw as he left my eyesight's going rems i'm getting old as he left three other carts left jerusalem the other carts were accompanied by outriders and guards they were decoys although the man who drove them did not know that the old man is accompanied only by a member of their order who can pass as a deaf mute servant the rumble of the of the storm is now almost continual he knows much this old man he knows many things. He knows that one of the other three cards has already been seized by enemies, by those who would steal the treasures of their order. He felt them die. He does not know what has begun to tear the world apart. I said this is a history lesson. This is really not a history lesson. This is just this is a lesson about this old man. He knows where he needs to go. He knows what the time is upon him. This gets by the way. This during this whole time this guy is like carrying all this stuff on his back like up mountains like this is the what's happening in the background here is just crazy but the old man he whips the donkey and he plods on um then like so the the queen this is happening but the queen of england is also kind of like dreaming this so half waking the queen coughs and before her dreams can vanish into the day she is suddenly and inexplicably afraid and then we go over to just off the coast of spain where we see Angel doing um doing his best, Leonardo DiCaprio in Titanic Impression on the bow of this ship uh along with his newfound buddies. Uh Scottius and Robert. And who else do we meet? We meet little little John Gray. They made Gene Gray into a little boy. Remzo, what do you think about little John That's Gray? fucked up. That's fucked up. Isn't it? I guess that was the only way to ensure that everyone wasn't that we didn't have Charles Javier, you know, hitting on them or, or whatever. But you know, uh, anyway, I guess they're I guess Catholic. Is mm, we're going to leave that mm. right there. <laughs> uh, yeah. But they are basically uh, sailing to England because that is where uh, resides Charles Javier, who are they? They're going to te- uh, you know, take this guy to and they basically the X-Men get dropped off uh, by this guy and they have to hop out into the water and um yeah and and angel's like now is is that is, is there that is this this man so hard to read 1800 talk 1800 talk 1600 talk sometimes is that there that we shall be safe from the world he says i perhaps for a little while and they take off into the boat uh, off of the boat and are about to are basically gonna just go go head to shore to find a place where they can be witch breed and that wraps up our first issue of 1602 what'd you think remzo and take us into take us into uh,
0: I, I i went to uh Medieval times in Austin, Texas. It's fun. Uh, in in Austin, Texas, in two thousand seven, with my family, and it's <laughs> I remember the guy at the front desk. He he rushed over to my father in his costume and everything. He's like, "Excuse me, my lord, you left your tickets behind." And each time I try and you know speak this uh, old English speak, I just think I sound as ridiculous as that yokel local trying to sound like a squire at medieval times in Austin. But uh, I, I liked it. It was, um you know, for and maybe you have to read the dialogue more carefully and see some of the art to understand this. But in terms of like the tone and everything, like Neil Gaiman seems to be having fun with this one. Like a lot of this is just very tongue in cheek. I would say it's fanfic, but I guess when it's a professional writer, it's not fanfic.
1: It's profic yeah it's it's just called writing it's
0: it's just it's just really fun and it was really great setting up the stage and everything and uh i think andy kubert's art is phenomenal so different than the uh ultimate x-men volume one that we saw him on so i mean it's uh it's good very different yeah
1: very different yeah i mean yeah it's it's still you can tell it's andy kubert but he's certainly adapted his style not just for like the tone of, of the setting but also like i, I really feel like he's He's turned himself into a Neil Gaiman artist for just for this series. Yeah. It's really fascinating to watch.
0: Yeah, that, that's a sign of a good team right there. When your artist and your writer can develop a, a story that complements one another's talents. Indeed. Anyway, we're on to part two, also known as... In which attacks are launched and evil schemes are revealed. I keep thinking of, like, the voice from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. In which it attacks are launched. Anyway, uh, we, we basically have one of our first attempts at the recap page. This was typically a Bendis staple, but we, we have this in the form of, um, you know, uh, Nicholas Fury writing a letter back to the Queen, basically recapping everything that's been going on from the previous issue. We see in the next page that Nick Fury has ridden on his horse to Master Charles Javier's select college for boys. I'm sorry, select college for the sons of Gentle Talk. Maybe that's why they had to make Jean, Jean Grey a boy, because it was It was a boys-only school, so why would you have a
1: chick there? I guess so. That does does make sense. Hmm. Or maybe, oh, maybe we're going to find out. I don't know, because I haven't read the whole series. Maybe we're going to find out that John Gray is actually a Jean Gray, and that's what... Because he kind of doesn't look exactly like a boy. So now I'm starting to think that that's where this is going eventually. He hasn't hit puberty yet. This could be either way. This might be a... uh, uh, What's that movie? This is going the other... What's the one where Dustin Hoffman... uh, Tootsie. You ever seen Tootsie Remzo. No, you gotta see Tootsie. Rems, Rems, Tootsie is is uh, Mrs. Doubtfire twenty years earlier with Dustin Hoffman. That's that's the summary of Tootsie. Uh, but this see, this could be a Tootsie situation. Dustin Hoffman wore drag. Okay. Dustin Hoffman wore drag. Absolutely. Okay, moving on. And he's hilarious. It's it's it's, it's, a, it's a really hilarious movie. I do I do highly recommend it. We're gonna someday. We're gonna do a bonus podcast. Where, where I have you watch hilarious 80s movies that you were not even born for yet that's what
0: we're gonna I do. like Dustin Hoffman so it wouldn't be that hard of a sell.
1: no I think y- you would like Tootsie I'm sure I'm certain you would he's great in it.
0: uh Nick Fury goes to the front entrance and he sees Beast there. He walks out and this is Beast in his more human fur minus all of like the I'm sorry, human form minus all the blue fur that we're accustomed to. So kind of like the classic Beast. But he walks out and he looks all ogre like and stuff like that. And he's like, Sir Nicholas Fury, come with me. And Nick Fury is a bit, you know, taken off by him. He's like, what manner of creature are you? And I, I like how Beast just responds because it shows he keeps kind of his um his jovial behavior. He's like, ah, good master. When I was young, when I was a young thing, they asked the same question: "Is it a man or is it a beast?" They asked, and accusations were bandied about that my mother had the congress with an ape. Uh, which hearing, the good woman took to her bed and died, and my follow, when my father followed her to the afterlife. Man, that's a fucked that's up. That's a childhood. rough
1: childhood, man. Yeah, like you think everyone's telling your mom fucked an ape. <laughs> <laughs> because you look like a fucking ape
0: so so basically what what Charles Xavier has done is he's basically created Charles Xavier schools for gifted youngsters, so Beast was an orphan, he was also a freak, so that's what Charles Xavier does. He takes orphans who are freaks, and he brings them into the school to which at this point um you know he's he's waiting in the front foyer for Charles Xavier to come in, so he pulls out his pipe, lights some tobacco, and as he starts smoking, and this is a uh, an Easter egg to uh, Nick Fury, always with a cigar, you know, the good old David Hasselhoff Fury days. Um, we see that Beast has gone into Charles Javier's bedroom. And instead of walking around, I'm sorry, not walking around. That's incredibly insensitive. Instead of wheeling around like he typically does, Beast just carries him because just like his 616 counterpart, Charlie ain't walking.
1: I guess I didn't have wheelchairs back then. huh? No, you were just fucked. You just had to get a, some, a beast guy to carry you around, a really a big, strong orphan to carry you yeah. around. <laughs> It's not
0: so much worse. Anyway.
1: To raid an orphanage just to get a ride. Yeah,
0: so uh, Charles Javier, Javier is carried out, and he's like, ah, a noxious weed, Nicholas. Please put it out. The, fouls, the It fouls the air and blackens the lung. And I, I love this line where Nick Fury throws his uh, his pipe into the nearby fireplace, and he's like, the last man to tell me that was King James of Scotland. Who would have thought that you'd agree w- with him, Carlos? Oh, I guess it's, I guess it's Carlos. Oh, Carlos, right.
1: It's Carlos Javier. That, that's right. Yeah.
0: Whatever. So at this
1: point, I think that's even funnier.
0: <laughs> yeah. So so at Carlos this point, yeah. So at this point, uh, you know, Nick Fury is asking, like, you know, what what's what's up with you? What are you guys doing? I mean, the Inquisition is on your trail. We went ahead and heard that you went ahead and freed that angel guy. What's uh what, what's what's going on? So basically, you know, Javier is. Gathering his pupils to basically defend those who are being hunted down by the King and Queen of Spain because the Inquisition is going after these folks. So they go, and uh, I think it's funny because it went from Beast carrying uh, Javier to now Nick Fury <laughs> carrying him outside. And Javier is like, Would you like to see them, my mutantare? I think I fucked that word up. Let's just call them mutants. Uh, <laughs> like my changing ones? They train in the mornings according to the rules I have devised. Sometimes I dream of building a room in which dangers would come from nowhere. Can you imagine? You mean like a
1: danger room?
0: Huh? <laughs>
1: Some of this stuff is just a little too heavy handed.
0: Well, well, this this next part is like super heavy handed because and I think it's so funny because around this time, Andy Kubert had just finished the first two volumes of Ultimate X-Men. Now we actually see the X-Men, his pupils, and um, they're basically wearing what, what's funny is these are like the 1602 versions of. The ultimate X Men uniforms. Yeah, it's
1: the exact same crew,
0: and, and they're almost posed in the exact same way. And I, I, I think it's it, it's it's funny. It's one of those things where it's like, unless you know what you know, you don't know why you should laugh at this. But it's, it's a funny, it's a funny moment.
1: I'm still laughing at Young Master Gray. I, I think we're gonna find out that this is this is a titsy situation yeah this
0: is a situation. so uh javier javier whatever the hell we want to call him professor x <laughs> professor x is introducing his students he's like this is roberto who knows much about ice scotius is the captain of i almost said scrotius god i hate cyclops i fucking hate cyclops so much scotius is the captain
1: That's of. scotius to you scotius scotius I <laughs> he has no love either way he sucks
0: yeah he yeah. has no love for the Scottish James. No more than Master McCoy, whom you've already met this morning. Behind him stands our newest addition, Werner. Angel. And finally, my page, Young Master Grey. And now, Nicholas, let us watch them fight. So now we basically go back to London and we see Hagère Captain Hajar, <laughs> the Indian, <laughs> the world's most Aryan Indian standing outside of the... you call him... The world's most Aryan <laughs> you Indian. You really
1: butchered that. No, the name. Hajar? Hajar? You, Hajar? you him like... Ho- Ro- Ro- Rajas. Hodor. Ro- Hodor. <laughs> yeah, Hodor. 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 Yeah, it's so. Hodor. This basically Hodor. Yeah. Hodor meets... Uh, Oh, God. <laughs>
0: yeah. So basically Peter Parquois is there and he walks over and he's like, I'm here to see Mistress Stairs. She within and Hodor is basically just standing there. And as Peter is about to open the door, Hodor grabs his arm. Open I'm just going to keep calling him Hodor, Hold Hold the Hodor, Hodor. And, um, at this point he, he picks up, um, he picks up Peter Parquois and like lifts him by the hand. And, uh, next thing, you know, Virginia walks out and she's like, uh, Rajaj, Roj rajas rajas
1: i I don't know hodor i think you're supposed to say it hodor i I thought
0: i heard somebody (laughs) sir oh sir that works for me yeah so basically she's like come on hodor let him go i beg your forgiveness sir he's only productive of me hodor so at this point um now uh basically peter parquois is set there to go ahead and uh bring Mistress Dare to Nick Fury and do so under the cover of night so that nobody can uh, interfere. At this point, we still don't know what makes her so important. But what we do know is that she's part of all this plan that um uh, Nick Fury and the Queen are putting together. So basically, Hodor is not really happy with it. He doesn't want to go ahead and leave her. So he basically intimidates Peter Parquata, letting him come on their little journey. At this point, we go back to Picardy where Matthew knows her footsteps on the mucky cobbles and smells her, of course, the smells of herself and of Jasmine, but he does not run. So, you know, uh, uh, Matthew, the blind bard, is singing and walking down the streets in daylight. That's when he runs across Natasha. We think we know this Natasha. I think I know this Natasha. Who is this Natasha, Mark?
1: I believe this is the 1602 Black Widow,
0: and she is, and they meet up, and basically they, uh, as they meet up, what we realize is that they are working together on behalf of Nick Fury. So they're going all the way to England at this point. They go ahead and they get into a carriage, and um, at this point, uh, what is it? They're yeah, um, they're
1: they're going to go meet that old man to, with the with the weapon.
0: Yeah. So basically. Um, yeah, they're they're riding off to go meet the the old man. The handsome is it? The handsome they're going for?
1: Well, Han- no, handsome is is Otto von. Dürer. Right, He's just the, bad guy. Yeah. the old man is is carrying that that fucking the, the thing. That, yeah, range is his yeah, yeah
0: yeah. So as they're riding off in their carriage, uh, Matthew's making some small talk. He's like, sometimes I wonder what you look like, Natasha. Uh, and she's like, you, you may touch my face if you wish Which for 1600 standards, that's very that's scandalous
1: like, That's pretty hot, yeah Yeah,
0: <laughs> like <laughs> No, that's not porno that's, Yeah, that's not like real 70s porno music yeah. Anyway, so she's like, you can touch my face if you wish. And as he's like, you know, caressing her and stuff, he's like, you must, I'm imagining how he would say it, you must be very beautiful. And this is where she throws in a cock block move. She's like, my husband used to say I was when he was alive. Were you born blind, Matthew? And he was like, I was not. When I was a boy, I could see as sharp as an eagle. And she's like, well, how did you lose your sight? And this is when we start to learn more of the origin of this version of Daredevil. He's like damned if I know, Natasha. I was only a boy. It was an act of God, perhaps. He was always exploring, a- and and this is like the omnipotent narrator jumping in. He's like, he was always exploring, <laughs> always. Well, that's not. I'm not doing an Neil Gaiman voice. I'm doing a Monty Python voice. He was always exploring, <laughs> always getting into things. His mom said he had no fear on anything, and maybe it was true of that. And we see a young Matthew who basically like fell into a cave. And in this cave, he saw some radioactive ooze coming out of the wall. So what does this little shit do? He goes over, he touches the glowing shit, and then the little shit eats the glowing shit. And after that, he was blind. And uh, something about him changed,
1: and long story short... The hell of an origin story. He just ate this glow. Like, why would he eat that? Why would you think, hey, I should put this in my mouth?
0: Yeah, so basically, ate radioactive shit, lost sight, Got powers. That's about it. Uh, now we're at the High Castle in Latveria, and we see Otto Von Doom looking over a war room map with his generals, and he's like, So by now, Fury's agents will be heading south. I'd put them here and they're, you know, figuring out kind of what to do. Obviously, they have spies in the area because one of the guys is like, do you want us to ambush their carriage? And he's like, on the contrary, have a squad of men follow them half a day's journey behind. We have tracked three decoys so far. And at this point, you basically see is that he's surrounded by like these little goblin creatures. So, I mean, they're really painting him up to be like, you know, a fairy tale villain with how his castle looks and how his henchmen are. They're really playing it up. And, um, at this point, you know, he's like, after all, as the unfortunate, Uh, I can't, what's that word? Nafe court, quartet as the, oh, as the, (laughs) as the unfortunate quartet learned to their cost, the greatest of treasures and the most powerful of weapons belong to one man in this world. And that man is count Otto von doom. I got to say of all of all the characters that feel the most appropriate in this story and everything, doom is so perfect.
1: Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I mean, Doom, Doom, like you don't really have to do. They did actually change some things about Doom, like his face making him handsome. But this is a character. It, it's a pretty easy translation to just plant him out. I mean, he looks like he should be from here anyway. Yeah. So now we're
0: at the court of King James, the sixth of Scotland. He's sitting around as uh, one of the inquisitors is walking in. And he's like, I had a dream, you know, David, I dream these dark rains and floods and earthquakes. They are the anger of God because we suffer to witches that live among us. The anger of God is a terror. I can't do Irish Scottish. I'm sorry. No, I know there's a difference. Maybe. Anyway, uh, basically the king is having a hard time. Uh, he's having a hard time sleeping. And meanwhile, as he's talking to his guy, uh, you know, uh, Petros walks in and he's like, greetings, your majesty. I relayed your wishes to the Grand Inquisitor, and I have an answer for you. And he's like, You do? That was damned fast. How'd you get to Spain and back in like what a few days? <laughs> this is another Easter egg. He's like, Well, I ran very fast, sire. <laughs> and the guy's just
1: <laughs> Yeah, I think this is what I was saying is true, then like, I think like because the witch breed or witch ble- whatever are bad, they're like the X Men, I think they don't the grand inquisitor's kids don't don't reveal to other people besides him that they have power so that's why he's just like oh yeah i ran fast but he's not actually for us we know it's because he's quicksilver but for them i think they're he's actually supposed to he's trying trying to kind of deflect the fact that he has power
0: yeah so i'm gonna use my political science degree for some use and i'm gonna summarize this whole monologue period long story short The Grand Inquisitor, speaking on behalf of King Philip of Spain, has basically formed a temporary alliance with King James of Scotland. What they're going to do is they're going to work together to get rid of the Queen of England and put James in her place. So that way, England is weakened. They have an ally on the throne. They can get what they want. And yeah. So now what we have is we have um, uh, Peter Parquois. And Virginia Dare talking about uh, how lucky the colony was as they were on this boat going across the river, and you see Hodor basically just kind of chilling there, and as uh, Peter's making small talk because he's a nerd everywhere he is, he's like, "So, what did your mother think of you coming all this way?" And she's like, "My mother is dead, Master Peter. Good job, Peter. Always a ladies' man. Um, she passed. She she pa- she she took an." She, I don't know what that word is. <laughs> she took an egg or an agua. Uh, uh, she took something. Something killed her and she passed away when she was an infant. And, um, and she's like, And you, how did you come into the Queen's service? And he's like, Well, my mother and father also passed away. I lived with my aunt and uncle. On my last birthday, Sir Nicholas Fury came to the door. He had known my parents. He said it was time that I entered his service. And that was what my father would have wished. My uncle Jeez, Benjamin was period. delighted for me. My aunt, my aunt wept and bade me to write to her and return when a I did. What time could. to
1: be alive! Yeah, when parents die and this fucking one-eyed asshole shows up and puts you to work. Like
0: simpler times, simpler times. So anyway, really more small talk later. They're still in the boat. Uh, now we're over at Greenwich Village, the house of Doctor Stephen Strange, and him and Clear still kind of wondering, you know, like what what what, what more can they see. Yeah. What, what's happening. And as the weather is getting worse, you know, Stephen is just like, Hmm, I shall need a fishing net, a black candle and a red candle and chalk. And he starts running upstairs and Cleese like, Stephen, what are you doing? And he's like going to the palace. And she's like, why? And some, something's up with him. Like, it's almost like he's, he, he's enchanted in some way. And he's like, I have absolutely no idea. Meanwhile, in dumb Daniels, Spain, we see, uh, the Grand Inquisitor, Magneto, and he's like, Let me see. How can we discover the witch breed among us? For surely there are true miracles sent by God to the pure. We must not mistake the dark marvels of the witch breed for the miracles of grace granted to the holy. So basically him and the Scarlet Witch meet up with Petros, and basically they're um, you know, they he, he lets it he lets them know that um, King James of Scotland is basically on board the whole cruise together bad shit's gonna go down meanwhile we get back to Javier's school and Nicholas Fury is like your pupils are remarkable Carlos I'm sorry going from Charles to Carlos is a is, it's is a leap it's weird and uh, they, they got him a chair. Good. Because just watching men carry him around is weird. And he's <laughs> like, yes, they are. And is just like, why did you show me this? If I were to report to Her Majesty that the refugees and orphans were quietly welcomed onto our shores and our team of soldiers beyond our, imagin- our imaginings. And, you know, Carlos jumps in. He's like, it would mean my head, perhaps. But the queen knows I am loyal to her, and he's like, if she believes that Carlos, she is wrong, and if you believe that, you are fooling yourself. What do you think, Master Gray? And yeah, as we finally zoom in on young Master Gray's face, I, uh,
1: I still think it's a boy. Yeah, yeah I did too. Oh no, I, I still think it's a girl. I should say. That looks like a girl to me. You really think it's a boy? Your, lo- your
0: loyalty is to the witch breed, not to England. Just <laughs> <laughs> this is to totally.
1: You. This is Dustin Hoffman, man. This is totally tootsie.
0: Yeah, so now, at this point... 16-0 Tootsie. Uh, you know, tootsie. N- Nicolas Cage is... I'm sorry, not Nicolas Cage. Nicolas, <laughs> Nicolas C- Fury. Where's Nicolas
1: Cage? <laughs> Sir, Sir Nicolas Cage!
0: <laughs> Nick Fury pulls out a photo of the vulture, and he's like, listen, do you know anything about this guy? This guy tried to kill me. Who's he working with? And at this point, uh Carlos, we can begin to see that he's actually... He's actually, he's one of the witch breed. He has his psychic powers and he's reading the mind of a vulture who's been in prison somewhere. And he's like, I can't tell you who he's working for. I still think Patrick Stewart's voice. I can't, I can't tell you who he's working for. He is thinking about it. He is angry that he failed to kill you and was captured and anger fills his mind. And he's concerned about his fellows. He is one of three. The second was sent here to kill a girl. A girl new, uh, a girl newly come from the colonies. She has to die, obviously, to talk about Virginia Dare. And then Fury is like, the third? What about the third? And he's like, the third is here to kill the queen. dun dun, dun. So now we see that Hodor, Virginia, and Peter Barquois have made it to the Queen's court, and they're uh, you know making their pleasantries and everything. And uh, the Queen is just really fascinated by Hodor, and she wants to learn yeah, no more shit. about the colonies and everything. This,
1: this white ass Indian, yeah. Of <laughs> At
0: fascinated. one point, she 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 mentions that she's like an Indian. We had thought that they all had black hair and red of skin, and uh, Virginia's like, my father says that Rajahs hodor is proof that the welsh must have visited the new world long before the spanish your majesty and a little bit of them was left behind and she's like of course they did our welsh subjects would hardly ignore ready market to the west and what say you sir indian welshman where did you come from and he's like i am rajas And she's like, well, (laughs) we've had several Indians here in the court, you know, but they took sick and died, though not before performing several amusing dances for our entertainment. Do you dance? And he's like, protect her. And the queen is like, how disappointing. We love dances. You may step back. And then as soon... He's
1: played by Vin Diesel in 1602,
0: (laughs) the movie. Um, Anyway, what ends up happening is... The vulture has been able to escape his shackles and he's gone down to kill Virginia Dare. So what happens is he swoops down and is somehow I guess I guess he actually can fly. I thought he just jumped down earlier, but he actually can Are we fly. Sure
1: that's the same guy as before, because I think that. No, see, I don't think you're right. I think this is the vulture, but that was not the vulture before, because carlos javier said there's three different people one sent to kill fury one sent to kill the little girl because that vault that, that guy that i think that was a green goblin i'm huh. taking it back this is not the same guy because it's not the same face is a different costume this is the vulture that was maybe it was a green goblin maybe not i think it was because he looked kind of goblin-esque and he was in all green but that guy is still in prison because uh, in the next issue right. fury goes to him in prison so this is different
0: right Ha." Huh. So basically, okay, so this motherfucker swoops down, grabs Virginia, and quickly what Hodor does is he grabs a serving tray, flings it like a shield, and quickly it hits the dude. He falls down, but not before Virginia has somehow gone missing. So, you know, Parquois is asking, Virginia, where did she go? And what happened to his face? And what we see is that it wasn't the tray that caused these three distinct marks on his face. Something happened. And then as we look into the next panel, we see that this giant silver owl beast creature has somehow appeared. I believe
1: it's a griffin.
0: A griffin. It's a weird griffin. Has appeared and everyone is screaming, Where's Virginia? And that ends
1: issue two. Indeed, indeed. And the the story is really coming together. You know, the, the first issue is very much Introducing us to these various characters, some historical, some Marvel historical, and this last one really is really moving the plot forward. So I I really feel like I do feel like the first issue, possibly because it was actually longer, it was like a ten page, a thirty five page issue. So it did feel like it dragged a little bit, but now I do feel like that the story is really, really moving a little, a little bit more in this one. That being said, it's time to move on to part three, in which further assaults lead to new revelations, and now we have a new narrator. A new narrator because we have a new font, a new color of of word bubble. Let's see if we can figure out who this narrator might be. He says, I am observing events. There are large events, and there are small events, and I watch them all. Again, Neil Gaiman is not subtle here. Widespread unusual weather phenomena cause stress formations and reactions. Transient singularities produce showers of particles I had thought only hypothetical in this sector of the universe. They exist for nanoseconds, burdening reality with their brief existence, sending billows back and forth through time in their wake. So this is more than just weather. There's something going on with time. Hmm, interesting soon enough if this continues unchecked it will rip this world into a cloud of dust and electromagnetic patterns besides these events all others are small still i watch the small as we see nick fury as i watch the big i watch as the queen's advisor sir nicholas fury sends a blind man it sounds ridiculous when you read it out loud sends a blind man to bring the greatest treasure of the templars back to england i watch as the grand inquisitor in spain loses another of the witch breed to his crippled opponent in england and plots his revenge i watch doom and we just see doom. I watch Dr. Stephen Strange, Her Majesty's New Court Physician, as he takes a water taxi up the Thames, I believe it's pronounced Thames, or Thames, it's Thames, right? The Thames River. River. Thames, to the palace, puzzled and troubled. I watch Virginia Dare, the firstborn of the English colonists in the New World, as she meets the Queen. I watch as she is attacked by an assassin, as she is saved by her Indian, okay, bodyguard, as she is transformed into something other. I watch the patterns. I observe the events. I must not interfere. I merely watch Remzo. Can you guess who this might be? <laughs> I'm guessing this is sixteen oh two watcher from the moon. We even yeah. see the moon. That's how not subtle that's how not subtle we are about this. We they even show us the moon in the first match. So yeah, the watcher's here, which is interesting, always. Cause whenever you see the watcher narrating a story, there's a good chance that that same watcher who's pledged to not interfere might see something in his journey that is so bad that he actually has to interfere so we'll see how that plays out actually we won't see that today but if you continue with the story you might see how that plays out um parqua is running up to rajas he's like where is she this we're picking up where we left off last issue when virginia disappeared after this actual 1602 vulture tried to kill her and this is a really funny scene because uh rogers just climbs up this um this wall like with nothing there's no rope or anything he just climbs a wall to try to find her to the roof and you see little peter parkwa just standing down there and he goes i can't climb <laughs> in another universe in another time mr parkwa and yeah up on the roof we see uh, stephen strange is up there and he's like and he's talking to Rajas. He's like, you must be her body. He, he beats him right on the roof. He's like, you must be her bodyguard. I am a friend. Do you believe me? And he says, I, Rajas, yes, friend. <laughs> I love this character so much. Then you must answer me honestly. Is she likely to be dangerous? And Rajas says, yes. He says, I see. Well, we must do what we can. Do you know what this is? And he says, net. It's a, it's a, and he says, yeah, because it's, it's a net. He's not saying net like he's German. like Yeah. Net. hes he's properly naming what Dr. Strange is holding. He says, Yes, can you use it? And he says, Roger's good hunter. He says, excellent. Try not to hurt her. He says, Through fire and water, earth and air, come to me, Virginia Dare. And this Griffin swoops in and attacks Dr. Strange. <coughs> Rogers throws crack. <coughs> Rogers throws the net over Virginia Dare Griffin. And uh Stephen Strange says, So we have much to do fast before the others find their way to this place. Uh we cut the scene to nicholas fury showing up and he's saying what in the name of a thousand blistering hells has been happening here and we see virginia dare in back in human form on the floor surrounded by the circle with all these various uh, rune type magical symbols and uh, he's like and dr strange is like yeah yeah well as you can see we recovered mrs dare and miss dare mistress uh, mistress dare i should say might I advise you not to step into the circle <laughs> there are healing energies at work and it would be a bad idea to disrupt them and again fury is like at the risk of repeating myself what happened here so steven explains miss dare was snatched by some creature well he doesn't really explain actually because that's not what happened she became this creature but i guess he doesn't want to tell her he's not he doesn't think fury is ready to hear that so he says miss dare was snatched by some creature we found her up here injured and unconscious i am attempting to heal her a little before we bring her down and Fury says, what did you do to your arm? Strange he says, oh, I was careless. I just, you know, I, easy to rip your garments when you're climbing a building and I, I don't, I don't climb walls that much. And he's yeah, like, okay, buddy, whatever. So he's, he obviously is trying to hide the true nature of Virginia Dare, understandably, because I you know, I don't know. I don't know if Fury would take too well to knowing that he's actually, um, you know, he's hanging out with this shape-shifting, strange little girl here.
0: That wouldn't be like the strangest thing to be occurring in this story, though.
1: It might be for him. It might be for for, for what Fury has seen so far. That might actually be the thing. I'm still trying to get over young
0: master gene hanging out with creepy invalid like carlos javier carlos
1: javier and little johnny gray um and we see this monk who's talking to um oh yeah no yeah the monk is named brother thomas so uh, the grand inquisitor is saying welcome brother thomas you honor us by your presence it is i who am honored grand inquisitor and this monk is like you know i was wondering if there's a place we could be just alone grand inquisitor these are sensitive matters we need to discuss uh so this guy has been sent by the pope obviously he's saying his holiness his holiness's message is for you and you alone so they go off into this you know secret cave and they they are having this little conversation about uh you know about the queen and and all the plottings that are going on and this guy is saying uh you know there's a rumor that that has reached his holiness's ear that the inquisition has how do i say begun to talk with king james of scotland and uh, you know, inquisitor's like, well, there's always rumors, and he's like, yeah, well, indeed, he said, well, had such talks actually occurred, His Holiness would be deeply concerned. And inquisitor's like, well, I, I would have thought His Holiness would approve of any attempts to convert the unbelievers, you know, because Magneto or Magneto inquisitor is just playing the whole, you know, hey, I'm just trying to convert, convert the unpious here, or the, the pious, the pious. It would be. I'm
0: sorry, I-, I just can't stop thinking about Mel Gibson's History of the World Part One.
1: Mel Gibson's history of the World?
0: no, not Mel Gibson's, Mel Brooks. <laughs> Mel Brooks? The, Mel Brooks. The Inquisition. I would totally watch
1: Mel Gibson's Mel Gibson's History of the World Part 1. Are you a Jew? Are you a Jew? <laughs> That's the cold opening. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, we couldn't try harder. I'm not even trying as a thing. This is just who we are. We're just being ourselves. We just want good. the downloads. <laughs> anyway, Mel Brooks' History of the World. It's slightly different. than The Inquisition. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> <From Mel Gibson>. <laughs> <laughs> anyway... <laughs> and uh yeah well anyway the, the inquisitor is like or the, this monk is like you know his, his, his holiness is very uncomfortable with any part of the church which has its own agenda so because there's like oh, i see well this is one of those pits which i warned you about you know it leads to these flooded caverns below you can hear the sea they say many of the inquisition's mistakes have been lost forever down these pits monk goes on and says the holy father worries you have your own plans inquisitor and in these days of unrest with the weather strange and dangerous there's that weather again and much loose talk about the end of the world people with their own plans cause the holy father distress inquisitor says i see well so now what like should i just come back to rome with you to talk with him he's like Nope, no need for ma- that there's a, the matter is to be kept quiet. There will have been an accident. Why would he tell him all this instead of just attacking him? He says, You will have tumbled into a pit. You are an old man. I shall be horrified, and the Pope, when I tell him, shall also be deeply distressed. Inquisitor says, Ah, that is unfortunate. And and this and he's being now the blade is being held to his neck by this. Monk and I love this scene. The, the monk is like you're going to die. Unfortunate is all is that all you can say old man. This is the finest Toledo steel. Its blade is so fine you will scarcely notice when your throat is cut. Very unfortunate. Says, says, again very unfortunate. He says how so? Because it is steel and you see suddenly this blade comes out of the hand of the monk turns around seemingly on its own but of course we know this is Magneto stabs him right in the throat to which point the inquisitor just says once again unfortunate
0: (laughs) you know you know what's crazy around this time not only was Ian McClellan Magneto in the X-Men films but he was also Saruman in Lord of the Rings
1: wasn't he also Dumbledore at the same time
0: because he was the first Dumbledore no the first the first Dumbledore died
1: yeah what oh okay what was the first Dumbledore then?
0: no one remembers him because he died and then they replaced him with the Dumbledore that everyone thinks was in the first one
1: I get Ian McKellen confused so, okay so the guy that played not who's the guy in lord of the rings that's not dumbledore but his is i think that guy plays dumbledore at some
0: point oh i'm sorry no me and mcclellan wasn't dumbledore. oh god people are gonna hate me he was he was gandalf and christopher lee was Saruman. yeah
1: okay yeah that makes more sense. yeah sorry
0: i got i'm getting i'm getting i'm getting all my shit together people please Get all my
1: old gray wizard guy. i know I know, I know i know things i know the stuff don't give me a hard time anyway those things and stuff everybody that's why i brought them in. unfortunate very unfortunate so we move on to we see little john gray looking up at a tree where little mr warren is eh, they basically befriend themselves here befriend each other here they're getting to know each other w- warren's like oh cool it almost seems like they're kind of getting cute with each other here which kind of basically leads me back to my my theory but, but we'll see and uh john is saying john quote unquote john is saying master javier says one day the world will be ready for us for what we are on that day we will live side by side with humanity and uh warren's like "Aye, on that day the last trump will sound imagine john and now we see like all this crazy imagery while while warren's going on this rant imagine john all across the world in the jungles of africa in far china and the indies in russia in lands we have never heard of or dreamed there are those like us being born how many of us are killed as monsters by our parents how many are raised in secret hiding what we are and john says well my father raised me we moved from place to place back when i when i was a boy <laughs> i think that i think that hesitation is all we need to know right now and uh warren says i am grateful to sir javier for so much for my life and obviously all that he is teaching me but most of all i am grateful that that here i can be myself at least here among ourselves friend john there is no need to hide no need ever to okay this is very obvious now again this is this has become very heavy-handed that john is obviously not going to turn out to be john Do you have any doubts at this point with this very heavy-handed scene
0: i mean these days you you just don't know i don't want to make assumptions
1: we then see who is still the the biggest douchebag the even in this time scotius it's got to ruin the party every time what are you two doing up there come down this instant oh forgive us scotius we meant no harm and Scotty is saying, the bell for morning prayers will ring shortly. You should pro- be properly dressed and in the chapel. So now they're in this chapel where uh, Javier is. They're basically just there. This is like a regular prayer service, you know, of the times in a nice medieval church. And they're just b- basically praying to God that God will, you know, bring them peace and let them, you know, basically live side by side with humanity. We go back to this place called the, not back, but I think we're there for the first time, the Tyrol, where we have Matthew the devil, Matthew devil, and Natasha. Uh, they're coming into this inn. To basically uh, meet with these soldiers, and Natasha goes up to this one soldier. She's like, I, "I, Captain, I have a business proposition. I would very much like to buy your best horses." And um, and these because their horses never got there. They were supposed to get horses from this place, I guess, but because of the rain and the weather, the horses that they ordered didn't show up. This is what I got from the conversation with like this innkeeper here. And so they, she's talking to these soldiers, and she's like, "I." She and they're like, wow, she is beautiful. I will say that. She's like, I repeat, I will pay for the horses. She's basically saying, No, I'm not gonna fuck you all for the horses. I want to give you money. I know what you're all thinking. Um okay know I mean, we you're soldiers who have not seen a woman in three months, and Natasha and walks in. Yeah, I know what you're thinking. No, we're trying to pay money. <laughs> this one soldier grabs Matt, he's like, Hey blind man, what do you do? He's like, Oh, may I sing for your lordship's pleasure, General? He's like, show us. So he makes him sing. He's like, So they look at the tells and they steps into the land and they knew that their lives had been saved. Then each of the four of them puts out a hand and they touched and they gave thanks to him. And I'm not going to go do this whole song, but I I don't know why I'm singing it as an Irish limerick, but that's the way. This is a very
0: culturally all over the place story. It really is.
1: And uh, basically they're fucking with this guy. They're like, blind man. Yeah, you're very funny. We're going to kill this blind guy. And then as they're about to kill him, he just like basically very easily takes them all out because because he's fucking Matt Murdock or matt Murdockio, or whatever the hell he is as jesse pinkton would say because he's daredevil bitch science bitch and they take the horses because they instead of having to buy them they you know matt just fucked them all up and she's like i would have paid them i was perfectly willing to pay he's like i know i heard you we'll take the forest pass, heading south as we should be all right if we keep to the high ground you really think i'm the most dangerous woman in europe and he and matt says well i've not met them all but i can't imagine anyone more dangerous she says, that's very sweet of you. Hold tight. We then go over to we see uh Sir Nicholas Fury and the Queen. Uh they are having another chat. Uh they're basically chatting about this prisoner that tried to kill Nick Fury the first time and what to do with him. He's like, I could torture him. And she's like, no, we're not barbarians. We're not we're not gonna do that shit. She basically forbids him uh from torturing him, and he's like, Okay, I guess I can't do that. Um and he also expresses concern that someone he tells her about this whole thing with the three assassins said that one is gonna come after her, and she's basically like Eh, that's fine whatever i'm not worried um i'm there's been assassins all my life and i'm fine so he basically just dismisses him entirely we then see uh let's see nick fury goes down and we see um this trumpeteer thing is being brought to as a gift uh to her majesty it's a gift from otto von doom he's like oh what will what will otto come up with next peter i trust the queen will enjoy it so i don't know right after she gets a warning she's getting a gift from Otto von doom maybe not the best sign in the world uh we then go over and um peter parkwa has come over to Stephen strange's house and, and she's seeing he's seeing all this crazy shit that strange has including this fish where if you grind up that fish it'll it'll cause a man to become in, insensible and to feel no pain very helpful for a for a, a physician she says she goes down to see Stephen, but he's um He's in, he's in the netherworld right here. He's, he's doing his thing. And he says, I'm a long, long way away, my love. She says, where are you, Stephen? And we go back into another little trippy Neil Gaiman sequence. He says, I am far away, my love. I'm above the world, somewhere cold and distant. I see the world like a ball, far away in the blackness of the skies. It seems there is nothing here but cold and dust. Stephen, you must come back now. Return to the world. She says, but there is an answer here, Clee. I am so far, so far away. Just come back, come back to me. Come back from the stars. Come back from the dust and the world of mirrors and reflections come back to the warmth and the flesh listen to my voice follow my voice and he is back and and we see one panel here we see a little spider falling from the ceiling just above peter parquois strange says do not move peter and peter says i'm not scared he's lovely he says i believe he's actually a she and yes she is she was a gift from sir richard reed god rest his soul he sent us so the fantastic four is dead in this universe that's sad he sent her back from i guess there's just too many characters to jam into this thing for neil gaiman from his travels what five years ago before before your time something like him she still goes exploring she's venomous but in her venom there are many secrets and she'll not bite me would you do So we get a tease of a Spider-Man thing, uh, but no actual Spider-Man here. Meanwhile, we see the Queen is about to receive this strange trumpet thing, statue gift from uh, Von Doom, from Otto Von Doom. We then go see Sir Nicholas Fury, who is confronting this guy. And he basically comes and he's like, all right, you know, you're not going to talk. Your friend is in no state to talk. I want some information. I'm not going to torture you. I'm going to give you a deal he's like, last week you tried to kill me. You failed. Your knife broke on my chainmail. I'm sure that was a bitter disappointment. I'm offering you a second chance. You'll have a blade. I will be unarmed. Takes his shirt off here. Says, you will. if you kill me, then you can take the key from the cell, from my corpse, and vanish into the night. And if I win, you talk. And he's like, trick. It's a trick. He's like, no, you can talk. You can talk. No trick. Do we have a deal? He's like, all right, deal. Fury tosses him a blade. And sure enough, as you expect now, Fury does actually get cut. It's a little bit of a battle here. He gets his arms cut, but in the end, Fury does kick his ass, beat the shit out of this guy, This maybe this Green Goblin guy. Once again, he says, now we have a deal. Who sent you? We cut back, and we see Virginia Dare is being sort of nursed back to health in the house of uh, Steven Strange. Strange sends Peter out of the room. He's like, Stephen, I, I need to talk to to Rajas alone <laughs> if you'll excuse us. And he's like, Sir Fury said I'm not sp- I'm supposed to watch over her. And he's like, yeah, well... <laughs> Fury's got a cone going on, and this is my house, so get the fuck out, basically. <clears throat> and so you know, Fury asks Rajas, he's like, has this happened before? A yes or no answer will suffice. He says, yes. Does anyone know about this apart from you? Rajas says, no. She changes when scared? He says, I think, yes. When did this start? Five, year, or six. Does she always become that winged creature? He says, no. White deer, white horse, also, white lion cat. And is she usually this ill afterwards? No. Was ill. Not this bad. And we start to see... Some shit happening in this room. Like some sparkly shit. There's weird stuff going on. Strange says, whatever's happening to the world, the weather, the madness, has its roots in this room, Rajas. What is she, Rajas? What is she? We then cut back to Fury, who's still holding this guy screaming, who sent you? Tell me. And he just barely ekes out this word as he's about to pass out from being beaten to a pulp here. He says one word. He says doom. And our narrator comes in, not the watcher our Neil Gaiman, maybe, narrator, and the Monty Python narrator, and the world hangs, and the word hangs dully in the air of the cell. In, a, in a, It is a moment before Fury realizes that he is being told a name, and even as he does, it is already too late, and we see the queen dead on the floor with this trumpet statue above her, so we don't really know how, but somehow this thing did kill the queen. As we wrap up issue three, Remzo, why don't you guide us home here? Not to the end of the story, but to the end of this episode, at least
0: shit is gotten real which brings us to part 4 or as they call it in which much is explained and things do not always work out for the best spoiler alert we're back in london at the bleeding heart end where young virginia dare is suddenly waking up and she cries for her indian bodyguard rajaz hodor and what she finds is that clea is there and she's like ah oh, I'm hungry. Who are you? What's happened to me? Where's Hodor? Who are you? And as she gets up, she falls back down and Clee's like, you must be as weak as a kitten, pet. Back on the bed for you now. I am Mistress Clee. I'm the wife of your position, of your physician, and I have been at your nurse for the pa- for the last week. Stephen, my husband, thought you would awake soon. He and Hodor are downstairs making broth for you in the kitchen of the house. As for what happened to you, perhaps we should save that until my husband returns. He has many questions. And Virginia's freaking out and she's like, did, did I hurt anyone? And Clee's like, no, dear, not really. And she's like, oh. And Clee's like, well, we've been so worried. The Indian slept by your bed and would barely leave your side. And Fury's boy, Peter, was here until yesterday. So suddenly, um, you know, Steve, Stephen walks in with, um, hodor and at this point you know uh virginia's like mr Strange says that you made me soup i'm very hungry and hodor is like soup hot bird hot <laughs> knowing
1: that this is supposed to be steve rogers is just it, it, it's just, it's weird it's, it took me a few issues to actually have it hit me i was like oh rogers this is steve that's why he's white okay i don't know why yet We'll find out. We won't find out why today, but if anyone continues with the story, they will find out why. And if Jeffrey sends us down the rest of this, that's when we'll find out.
0: Yeah. So Virginia's trying to figure out what happened. And long story short, Stephen is explaining that she was swooped up by this vulture thing, assassin guy, and that somehow she turned an, into a griffin and that Hodor <laughs> captured her and uh, quickly cast a spell to cast her back into her human form before Fury could actually find her. And at this point, you know, she's just like, how, how can you do that? And this is where we get finally get Strange's origin. And I just want to point out the pace of which they've actually gone into character backstories. I wasn't expecting it for all of them, but from just these four issues, they pace them really One well. Yeah. yeah, like it's actually pretty. Yeah, I I, 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 li- I like the pace. I think it's really good.
1: And I, I could have done like I, I don't feel like we needed them, but I and I'm never expecting them. So it's kind of like I kind of like it when it's like, oh, we're getting the, the origin story of Strange here, and, and they don't. Not like they go into a six page origin, so it's not like they it, they totally derails the, the story. These
0: are these are good standalone pieces, despite being an interconnected limited series. That I just think you know, it's it, it's a good way to do it but anyway Stephen strange is like child i am a physician true but i am also a magician i feel like he should say sorcerer at least magician implies yeah. magician uh, sounds
1: like he's just like eh, making doves appear out of a hat yeah
0: pulling coins behind ears
1: maybe sorcerer was too like you know in those times anyway sorcerer might be like oh you're sorcerer that's evil but magician's like ah, oh, he's just a magician he's just this party yeah thing, so that's okay
0: Anyway, this is when we get uh, Strange's origins here in the 1602 verse, which I'm going to call it the 1602 verse. Uh, When I was a youth, I was stolen, kidnapped by... Foreign sailors. We can obviously tell they're from the Middle East. And he's like, I was taken to the slave market in Ankara, where I was bought by a wise doctor. I learned much from him, but I could not be satisfied until I was free once more. My master offered me my freedom if I brought him back to a, if I brought him back certain secret herbs from the East. It was a dangerous journey. His last two couriers had never returned. I traveled high into the mountains beyond the Indies. I nearly "'I died, but was rescued and taken to a remote monastery in the place. I learned much, when finally I was able to return a free man to England. It was with my bride by my side, and some small knowledge of magic and of the body and of the soul.' And once I had done a small service to the queen, she made me her physician. So then, you know, Virginia's freaking out. She's like, whoa, whoa, the queen, is she angry with me? I must talk to her. Father told me things. I must beg for her. The colony in Roanoke is depending on me, good master strange. At this point, they're like, there's nothing you can ask the queen, Virginia, not any longer. And Clee's like, the world turned upside down, child, while you slept. And it's basically confirming that, yeah, the queen is dead. Uh, King James of Scotland is marching. To London, and there are riots and looting and murder in the streets. It's a shit show, some would say. So, at this point, um, you know, everyone is basically trying to figure out, like, what do we do now since the queen is dead? Uh, Now we're down to Newcastle, where we see a tent and a whole bunch of people hanging out. Uh, Somebody is saying, "Sir Nicholas Fury, Your Majesty." And then we see uh Nick Fury walk in, and this guy is that? Who's this dude? Wh- which guy is this? We've met him before. Is That Phil? That's,
1: that's James, right? Yeah, King
0: James. Oh, yeah, the Spanish yeah, yeah. King.
1: Yeah, but I don't, I don't think we've seen him in yeah, the story yeah, yeah, before. Yeah. He's been referenced. But yeah. This is the first time I've seen So him.
0: Nick Fury walks in. Oh, but
1: he's—is he? Yeah, he's James. He's Banner. Banner is his assistant. Oh,
0: yeah. That, yeah. That's right.
1: He's like, he's like Master Banner, so Banner is like his evil scientist.
0: Yeah. So anyway, Fury walks into King King this this King's court, and he's like, Ah, yes, Fury. Poor dead Gloriana, spy master.
1: It's hard with some of these like historical characters because you you feel like like everybody I see, I'm like trained to be like, which Marvel character is this supposed to be? But I think for like Virginia, the Queen, and King James. They're not supposed to be Marvel characters, but I think almost everybody else is.
0: Yeah. So anyway, he continues. He says, well, have your spies told you who did this monstrous thing? He seems upset, but not really upset. He seems kind of condescending. And um, Nick Fury is like agents of Count Otto von Doom of Latveria, your majesty. And have you any evidence of this dreadful accusation? The word of another assassin I learned that a murder was planned, but not quickly enough to foil it. I see. Well, I can educate you. Master Banner, where are you? Have you the paper? Well, give it here, man. You see, Fury, what killed her most wondrous majesty, Elizabeth, by the grace of God, Queen of England, was... The Servants of the Devil. There's a so-called school near Warwick. And the address here, it's a gathering place for all creatures of darkness in the land. Merely by allowing it to exist, we are traitors to the country and our god. Take a regiment, Fury. Capture them if you can. Kill them if you cannot. Have them waiting in London for me. Their leader is a monster called Javier. And I am told that he can cloud minds make people see things that are not there even tell men
1: the name of my my first album yeah a monster called javier so
0: at this point you know fury is just standing there because he already kind of knows all this but he also knows that carlos javier didn't do it so the guy is like uh so nicholas and fury's like your majesty he's like You did a piss poor job of protecting the queen of England. And if you make a mess of this, you might as well walk to the tower and pick out a room with a view. Do you understand me? Perfectly, your majesty. Yeah, that is King James of Scotland. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's just, it's just King James, but you're, you're like, we're trained in this to be like, so what Marvel character is this? Yeah. And that's true for almost everyone else, except for, like I said, except for the king, the queen and Virginia. It seems like literally everyone else is is a Marvel
0: character. Yeah, so basically um, now we're crossing a bridge onto the other side so that way they can continue their travels. Uh, And I'm talking about Natasha and Matthew. And they're just talking, you know having having a good talk. And then suddenly uh, they get to the middle of the bridge and Natasha's like, Matthew, are you thirsty? I have some wine here. And he's like, yeah, well, it's been a thirsty ride after all. And she's like, "Will you sing to me while I get the wine. So he starts singing and he's having a good time. And even though they're on a mission, they're just having a jovial moment. And then right when you least expect it, the bitch goes ahead and smacks him upside the head, knocking him off the bridge, killing him.
1: Unbelievable, Natasha. And
0: she's like, goodbye, Matthew. Just
1: when, I, just when he was making some progress, getting to touch your face and stuff, and now this.
0: Never let, uh, oh, only cheap women will let you touch their face at the first, oh, the first date. date. <laughs> um, goodbye, Matthew. Tell your gods or your devils that the most dangerous woman in Europe sends them her love. So now we see uh, Peter Parquois hanging out with Fury as they're getting back on their horses. And Fury is like, "I received this order from the king, from our king to be. He wants me to round up Javier and his pupils. I'll take a troop of soldiers and capture them. Kill any who resist. Take the rest to the tower." And Peter Parquois is like, "Why would he give an order like that?" And Fury is like, "Fear, stupidity. Who cares? Go to Javier, Peter. You must reach. To you must. You must reach him before I do." And
1: Go Parqua, go see Javier. <laughs> I just the names are my. I think my favorite part of this is the the, the ridiculous names: Parquah, Carlos Javier, Ro, Ro, Rojas, Rajas.
0: Yeah so at this point now we go back um, To Magneto and his children And they're like so Petros James believes we killed the queen for him So basically the whole thing is Like off now because That alliance they had to get rid of the queen Well now he has an opportunity not only Become king of England but now go after All the mutants so what happens Is that whole alliance is down Because now the mutants have been framed I'm sorry the witch breed have been framed And uh, that's not good for the Grand Inquisitor Or Spain So then we go back to the high castle in Latveria and Dr. Doom is like, astonishing, is it not? Simply a jar containing oil of vitriol and water, a rod of copper and a rod of Chinese zinc. Yet when we touch the rods to the frog and they're doing some type of like crazy experiment with this frog, uh, they go ahead and zap the frog. Suddenly it comes back to life and he's like, we see it twitch to life. Imagine an army of the dead, their limbs moved by the Galvanic forces, Mark across Europe, they would be unstoppable. And then suddenly something happens and all the tables and shit just go flying off. And we see freaking pterodactyls flying by. And Dr. Doom is like, unlock the vaults. I'm going down. It seems that someone has forgotten his lesson. So then what we see is that... Um, uh Doom is descending down into these caverns and we see this like dude with this beard just kind of like sitting down and something has happened and uh, Doom comes down. He's like, hello, my young friend. I was afraid it will now be several days before you get more bread to eat. Still, you are not short of water here. Huh? There you go. And this guy just looks depressed as hell. And he's like, nearly there. It is so strange to
1: be deep in the heart of
0: a mountain who
1: is that guy i think it's thor is it oh that's, that's but I, it's it's not completely clear but there's like references to like lightning or something with him so i think that somehow dr doom captured the mythical thor and is using him for something that that's what i think but it's not 100 percent clear but i think it looks like thor.
0: it's yeah it's it's basically that and some of dooms guys. Dude, I thought
1: Rogers was Colossus for two episodes. Not, like <laughs> I, for two issues. I, I literally I was like maybe it's Colossus? But like doesn't really make sense either like why would he be an Indian? And I thought maybe that like, Virginia Dare was like magic somehow, but then I had to let go of not everybody like no, Virginia Dare is just Virginia Dare. Of course, a different one in this world, but yeah. no he's not Colossus. <laughs> okay, long story short. Th- so maybe he's not Thor. God. I don't know. That that's my theory right now.
0: Uh Doctor Doom is told by one of his guys that the weather is really weird and that something's happening. And long story short, Doctor Doom is like, yeah, some weird shit's going on in the world. That's why we gotta do our own thing right now. We gotta plot and continue kill monarchs and shit. Don't worry about it, man. So now we're back to the to the school for the sons of gentlefolk in Warwick, England. And we see uh, that Beast has tackled Peter Parquois, and he's like, now, reprobate and malfactor, What do you do here? Speak! Are you a thief in the night? Or perhaps have you come to spy on us, harmless boys at a quiet school, who hurt no man and are here under the good grace of her late majesty? God rest her soul. Why do you not speak? It's guilt, I'll wager, that stops your tongue. And then... You know, Gene walks out and he, she, she, she. So you you got to call her yeah. Gene.
1: You know, she's not John. You
0: know. Yeah. She's given him those eyes. Uh, Gene is like, more likely it's because you won't let him get a word and edgewise. Uh, you're Peter Parquois, aren't you? Fury's man come inside. So basically, Peter Parquois is in there um, warning them all that. Yeah. Fury sent me to warn you because he's going to have to come here because James wants you guys dead because you've all been accused of uh, of bad shit. So now we get back to Virginia Dare, and we're getting a little bit of the history where she's saying, I was just born after they landed in the new world 14 years ago. My father says that it was a miracle that we survived the first year. We did not know what to eat. We were colonists in a hostile wilder wilderness. We did not know who our friends were, nor who our enemies. There was no food, no crops, and uh, shit just got really bad until eventually Rajaj... Hodor and the Indians came and helped them. And what's crazy is that and correct me if I'm wrong all of this is crazy. I maybe. don't think they landed in America I think they landed in the Savage Land because how else do you have pterodactyls?
1: That would explain the pterodactyls. So maybe this Roanoke is not where we think Roanoke is it's just called Roanoke but actually in the Savage Land. I like the theory I Yeah, like makes sense I mean, as much as any of this can make sense. Yeah,
0: so basically, uh, at some point during a lightning storm, when she was uh, a child, she saw some mysterious light near some uh, rocks and she wouldn't touch it. And then quickly, uh, Rajaj found that she had transformed into some type of creature and that she had transforming powers now because that happens and that Raj was Hodor was training her to basically manage her ability to shapeshift so uh, she's telling this to Dr. Strange and he's like does your father know and he's like no nobody knows only Rajaj. and uh, this is when she's basically talking about how terrifying it is and this has to be the Savage Lands because in this flashback there's a freaking T-Rex right there
1: it's true yeah I, I think your theory is, is proven accurate Yeah.
0: so now we see the um Uh, we're, We're at a hill outside Trest, where they're trying to find the old man. And Natasha's there, and she's going over to the old guy. And he's like, I was sent to make sure you get safely to England. You are the old man of the Knights Templar, right? And at this point, he's... He's basically given her control over this, uh, this gold weapon, the weapon that has, everyone has been talking about this entire time. And she's like, huh, very good, gentlemen. We have our quarry. I'm afraid the Queen of England is much dead old man. A much more reliable monarchy would be taking possession of your prize kill the servant and then quickly there are a bunch of guys behind her gonna go kill this old man. But before anything can happen, what we see is that Murdoch is still alive and he walks out and quickly saves the old man from being executed before he walks out and finds even more assassins with Natasha. And at this point, uh, you know, they're trying to make a deal. They're trying to figure out what's going on they go ahead and are basically like, you know what, fine, we won't fight. So they're basically, uh Murdoch and the old, I'm sorry, Matthew and the old man are thrown into the back of the cart where they're going to be taken to Otto von Doom. And that is what ends issue four.
1: Indeed. And I guess we'll dive right into things. And I'm going to say, I don't know. This, this one started off for me kind of slow, but this is, this is sort of a Neil game in staple. You know, it starts off slow. There's a lot of expedition, there's a lot of new characters, There's a lot of things you're learning all at once. It doesn't all necessarily connect right away, but when you stick with it and you keep going, the things start to pay off and you start to get more information. It's like, I think we got basically one flashback per episode, sort of fleshing out some of these characters and fleshing out the background. And I'm enjoying it on a couple of different levels. I'm enjoying it that I'm actually, I'm enjoying the story and I'm curious to see where it goes. I'm also enjoying it on this. Like some of these names just make me laugh. Like Peter Parque, I laugh every time I read it. I I can't tell you why, but I think it's kind of funny. I I think Javier, what is it, Charles, Carlos, Javier is absurd. Um, But and you can tell it's not often I can say this about Neil Gaiman because I, I like say what you will about Neil Gaiman's writing. Fun is not necessarily how I would necessarily describe him. This didn't feel. Difficult to understand no not at all it felt more actually more simple than a typical certainly than a typical Sandman story or anything and but you can tell Neil Gaiman is having a blast with this and I think that really does come across you can tell he's just he's getting to play in this Marvel sandbox and he's getting to work with I'm sure he's like uh, it's clear pretty clear he's pretty versed in you know medieval history and such so I'm sure these are two areas that he probably grew up having interest in and he's getting just smush them together and play around with it and uh, you know I think how much fun he's having in this really comes across so you know it's, it's like you're having a serious friend, you know, who's really serious, and then one day you just see him laughing and smiling, and you're like, whoa, he usually doesn't laugh and smile. That's how I feel like <laughs> Neil Gaiman is with this book. I feel like this is me catching Neil Gaiman laughing and smiling at the bar after being Mr. Serious all night. Um, <laughs> that's how I see the, this book for him. So I, I am enjoying it. So I'm going to, it's not, you know, it's, it's not my favorite Neil Gaiman book, and it's hard to judge this because we are only doing four issues, and we're we're clocking two hours here, more than two hours at this point. So I, I this is going to be one of our longer episodes only doing four of the issues so I, I am glad jeffrey realized that as well but i am curious to finish this so we'll see if uh jeffrey wants to unleash us on the rest of this i'm obviously i think i will be finishing this either way because now i now i actually am interested in the story and i am curious what happens. i feel more I invested you, as now some, as, as someone who you has also not finished this correct no you've only yeah so this is actually a, bl- a fresh read for both of us what do you think is in the thing? Do you think that's the Infinity Gauntlet or something like that?
0: I, I think it's either. The, I, I think it could be the Eye of Agamotto. I don't think it's. Okay, I, don't it think it, I don't think. I don't think it's a simple. gauntlet. I think it's. It's some type of MacGuffin. I have a feeling it's going to be a MacGuffin that we already know in a different, more time be, yeah. periody There's, way.
1: Yeah, they wouldn't be so. You know sort of shifty about exactly what it is if it wasn't going to be a reveal of something i think we'll recognize so i'm i'm going infinity gauntlet but but who knows we'll see that might be too powerful for this for this world um but i'm gonna give the writing i'm gonna give the writing a four i'm gonna i'm gonna call that a very very good um you know, like not Neilman, Neil Gaiman's best work, but once I got into the story, you know, it, it really did interest me in the characters, and not just because they were... See, it's not just because there are different takes on these characters. I'm actually enjoying the story itself. If these were different characters that I didn't know, I think I would still be getting interested in the story, which mm-hmm. says a lot, because I think a lot of it... A lot of a book like this normally would just just be the novelty of it, and the story would be very secondary. It is for the novelty, but the story is, is not, you know, pushed to the side or anything like that. Yeah. So I'm get the story of four... I'm going to give the art. I got to say, Andy, I love all the Kuberts. I'm a Kubert in general fan. Um, and Andy has been traditionally my favorite Kubert, especially the Andy Kubert of like the late 90s or so. And I'm really impressed by how he, you can still tell it's his art, but he definitely has a different style here that not just fits the times that this is supposed to take in, but also especially when he goes into these dream sequences, like you could tell me this is a Sandman issue in certain parts and I would believe it because um, he really it feels like Hubert is sort of like merging with the mind of Neil Gaiman and it's it's influencing his art style. he
0: he has changed his style to match the themes of the writer
1: yes. because he knows uh, so at the I,
0: end of the day this is a Neil Gaiman book
1: for sure so it's not perfect it's really hard to give a perfect score but I'm going to come pretty close I'm going to give it a 4.5 on the art it gives me an 8.5 on this book, higher than I even thought I would give it to I,
0: I can't really add to this. I mean, I, I I'm just going to save us a minute and just say, yeah, um, story of four, because I, I feel like at some points it just the dialogue just drags, and that's always my criticism of him. Like, I, it's 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 kind of like Alan Moore's issue sometimes where it's just like more book than comic book. But, you know, I, I, I it didn't bother me as much as others. I think that while this intimidated me when I was in high school, I would I definitely enjoy this more now. So I'm giving it a four. And then the artwork. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I, I feel I feel almost bad giving it a four point five out of five. But you know what? I just can't give it a five. So I'm giving it a 4.5 for a I, thought, I, felt a, too. I I wavered. Yeah.
1: I thought about a 5 but I was like I mean uh, a 5's got to be rare, you know, that so it's not quite Yeah, that, so our uh, S- I'm not going to call it. it's one of the best art I've ever yeah, seen. Yeah, like
0: our, our SPC score is a 17 out of 20. It's definitely good.
1: Oh yeah. Above a Sunday read. I oh say. yeah. Actually, I don't don't read it on a Sunday. You need to be no, more start this maybe on a Friday <laughs> night or maybe when you're taking yeah, some vacation Thursday leave night, or
0: something, something
1: like that. On an airplane. Yeah, yeah don't don't be distracted doing this don't have the kids like harping your ear don't be like talking to your, you gotta you want to focus on on this you know? yeah uh, all right well that, that was fun and uh, again if you want to be a Kirby club patron if you want to send us down the rabbit hole or reviewing anything you want at all you can do so over on our patreon patreon.com slash second print pod want you to say send us home here
0: remember folks you could do so much with so little. If you love us each and every week and want more, patreon.com slash secondprintpod. Check out all our links to mycomicshop.com only here in the show notes of the website. And when all else fails, you can read comics and change the world. Changeth the world. Good nighteth, good people.
1: I bid you farewell.